1: with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show was recorded on the 9th of October, 2020. In today's episode, a Cessna crashes on the Isle of Man trying to avoid hitting a horse. A fatal crash in New York with a seaplane hitting a concrete pier. More news, your feedback, and today's plane tale you couldn't give them away. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat packs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger and Flight 446 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger, an award
2: winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all news station in the nation. 1010 wins
1: in New York
2: City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news, or pretty recent anyway, and answering your great feedback. And I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, Georgia. And joining me today. From her lakeside studio in South Kakalaki, Dr. Skydiver, Marathon Runner, Strength Training Junkie, IPA Connoisseur, and Commercial Multi Engine Instrument Rated Backstabbing Jumper Dumper, Dr. Steph.
3: It just gets better and better with every iteration <laughs> of that introduction. I really like where it's at now, so we should okay. keep that. We'll get Great there. to see you, Captain Jeff. Glad to be here. Happy Friday.
2: Happy Friday to you as well. And also joining us from way across the pond, from a studio in the English countryside, he is a professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired captain for an international airline based in London.
0: It's Captain Nick. Good evening, Jeff. Good evening, Steph. Uh, It's lovely. It's Poet's Day today, isn't it? Yes. I thought Poets it
3: was Day. International Aviation Asian Podcasting
2: Extravaganza uh, Day.
0: Well, it's also Poets' Day. Oh, okay. Well, you'll have to tell you us do, more about that. You don't have Poets' Day? Oh, Poets' I... Day is uh, piss-off early tomorrow, Saturday. <gasps>
3: oh, ah,
2: in that case. <laughs>
4: that's
2: pretty clever. Yes. Yes. There we go. All right. Well, without further ado, let's get on with the news. Stand by for news. All right. The first item in our news notebook is... This was in from Fabian. Um, not our good friend Fabian in Germany, but this one from Brazil. And this is a piece of news from Brazil. Uh, according to the fire department... Oh, wait. I, I guess I should read the headline. Two are injured after plane crashes against airport fence in Braganca. Polista? Sao Paulo?
0: Nailed oh, it. SP? What does SP yeah. say for I, I, I was it's assuming this. Paulo. It's São it's for news okay. was in there just because of the location. I think so.
2: And <laughs> I, I just realized as I was reading this, <laughs> thinking, I have no Maybe. idea how
0: you
3: to pronounce Should that. Should we find out where that is? Okay.
0: Yeah, what is a C with a uh, squiggle under it, anyway? I don't know. It's
3: in weird. In French, it whatever. makes it a soft, or like a S sound, uh, but I don't, okay. I don't know what it does in Portuguese. Okay, do
2: What do we have our? Do we have anybody that speaks Portuguese on the staff? No. Nobody's answering. No. No. That's probably because I can't speak Portuguese. They don't know. All right. (laughs) Um, Liz, are you working on it? Oh, she's on the phone right now. It's a
3: municipality in the state of Sao Paulo. Okay. Sao Paulo, if I can say that. That would
2: have been easier to say. A municipality. Uh, Anyway, according to the fire department, the accident occurred while the aircraft was trying to take off. Two people were injured after a plane crashed in the fence at this place uh, at around 5 p.m. on Thursday. The first, according to the fire department, the accident—I just read that—was uh, trying to take off, failed, and hit the fence at the end of the runway. The occupants were rescued and taken to the city hospital by people who were at the scene. According to firefighters, they had minor injuries. Military police teams acted on the scene. I'm not sure what they acted. But I'm sure it was a great little little bit of
0: Shakespeare. (laughs) Oh,
2: Shakespeare. Okay.
0: Something classical.
2: Something classical. Okay. Something appropriate for the uh, situation. According to the VOA uh, SP network, which manages the airport, the accident occurred shortly after the aircraft left the ground. (laughs) The plane had not yet retracted the landing gear when the pilot lost control and crashed into the rail next to the runway. Clear, uh, cool.
3: I was not laughing at the, uh, the accident or incident. I was laughing at the journalist's um, telling of how it occurred.
2: And it, cra- it crashed into the rail next to the runway. So in this case, train was a factor. Um, <laughs> according to the... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> mm. I'm here all week.
0: Well, it's <laughs>
2: Yeah. According to the registration of the aircraft with the National Civil Aviation Agency, ANAC, the plane is a twin-engine manufactured in 1967 and with regular authorization from the agency. The Reg- Regional Aeronautical Accident Investigation and Prevention Service. <laughs> <laughs> Less laughing at me for some reason. I <laughs> know <CERPA. laughs> I'm not sure what that accident is. Will investigate the cause of the accident. The airport was temporarily closed for the investigation and handling of the case as determined by the investigation procedure uh well we have some pictures here um i don't know have you been showing those uh liz at all there we go she has okay very cool no just one there is a picture i have two in my show notes if you want to look at more pictures from a different angle um just check out the show notes there you go
0: considering the number of concrete um lumps things spars holding up the fence fence posts that's the thing i'm looking for yeah that thing they they were lucky not to collect one actually oh yeah
2: and looks like the propellers are very they're bent very well they're very badly bent was probably
0: most of it's pretty badly bent (laughs) yeah it probably
2: wasn't a very fun ride after it left the runway
0: and Hmm. got airborne yeah yeah
2: but really
0: I don't know what else uh, to say about this. No, no, no idea why, of course. But.
2: No, they didn't give any clues at all. Anyway, uh, Fabian, um, that's just in from the uh, newsroom, uh, is part of the uh, Kleber-Fabian Blues Trio.
0: Oh, great. is that nice? Perhaps he could record some music.
2: Yeah, you need to record some uh, great uh, trio stuff and send it to us, and then we can play it on the show.
4: Yeah.
0: Well, thank you very much
2: for letting us know what's happening down there in Sao Paulo. Fabian, we do appreciate it. Continuing on. Another small plane crashes. Um, Now, um, Liz, you'll get ready with these uh, photos when I tell you. I'm ready. All right. Uh, This is Ivor sent this in. So it's always a Mm -hmm. suspect. Uh, (laughs) I saw this on the BBC. Oh, yeah. I should play that, shouldn't I? I don't know where that is. I'll add it in post. I saw this on the BBC news app and thought you should see it. And, uh, apparently a light aircraft crashed on the Isle of man. Go ahead, Liz. You can show that after aborting a landing to avoid a horse, an accident report revealed. And, uh, I'm looking at the photo and I don't, there's no horse in sight. Uh, the only thing I see is, yeah, Liz, go ahead. Yep. Yeah. A unicorn. Mm,
4: very ah,
3: majestic.
0: That's, well, that's, it was, Probably Harry would, Potter doing his expelliarmus <laughs> spells. Was it? Yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, that
2: would be very distracting if I saw a unicorn would, out there in yeah. the middle of a field. Uh, very true. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a Cessna 182RG. RG stands for retractable gear, right, Steph?
3: It does. Overturned Ding. after
2: hitting oh, after hitting a farm fence before landing upside down in a field next to the Mount Rule airstrip in. Braden, Braden? Oh, Nick, how do I pronounce that?
0: I would guess Braden. Okay, but I don't know the place. Also. Oh, that's right. You're you're not from the Isle of
2: Man, are you? No. Isle of... Never mind. The pilot earlier saw <laughs> the Isle the Isle of Pilot. According to this, the pilot earlier saw a horse appear near the end of the runway and aborted the attempt. The air accidents investigation so branch. it was that? a
0: magical horse. It, <laughs> it just appeared. I know. And then that disappeared. upset most pilots. Actually, <laughs> uh,
2: it was airborne as it reached the end of the runway. The horse or the, oh, the horse? Uh,
0: <laughs> I'm telling you, it's a unicorn. Obviously, the unicorn. It's a flying unicorn. That's what it is.
2: Okay, Pegasus,
0: uh, the flying unicorn. I'm sure there's <laughs> something wrong there. <laughs>
2: Uh, the horse was outside the boundary of the airstrip, but it was not clear to the pilot at the time of the 13 March landing, <laughs> so it really wasn't even on the airstrip. <laughs> Oops. pilot told investigation, uh, investigators the aircraft did not accelerate or climb as expected as he attempted to take off again. The pilot and his passenger were not injured and managed to free themselves from the aircraft before the fire service arrived. Uh, the report noted that the pilot had 300 hours of experience flying that type of aircraft, but had not previously landed on the grass airstrip at Mount Rule. Though the passenger had, he completed, completed three circuits of the area to familiarize himself with the runway.
3: I'm, I'm just trying Circus to like without the
0: relevance of the passenger's experience.
3: I don't I don't know. Was the passenger an instructor? That might be. <laughs> oh, yeah, could be. <laughs> they overlooked that right. point.
2: Right. Um, a video taken by, oh, we don't have the video. A video taken by an onlooker showed the plane touching down. And it was still on the ground and just over 100 meters from the end of the runway when the footage ended. The plane had well, been found. The from, footage
3: doesn't show anything.
2: I guess not, yeah. Maybe that's why it's not included. But they did have a picture of that unicorn. That's a nice thing.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Actually, I added that. Okay.
0: Oh, go on.
2: I know. Can you believe it? Thank you, Ivor, for that very entertaining piece of news. And, you know, when you look at the picture of the uh, airplane upside down. It's really kind of a miracle they didn't get injured. In that
4: yeah maybe yeah yeah okay now i think uh, a, just, sorry
0: i was just no. gonna say does this disprove our uh, theory that you can always go around uh
2: yes
3: hmm. i guess yeah. there's some <laughs> there are some
0: exceptions. exceptions there are there are limits to, yes. <laughs> to the song <laughs> yeah.
2: fine print liz says fine yeah. you gotta read the, the fine print um, yeah, if you listen to the audio only podcast, we always put a disclaimer in there about the always, you can't always go around, but mostly, most of the time, you can. Um, let's see. The next item here, um, I think, Liz, I think I have some, um, video that,
5: uh, uno momento
2: goes with that. Okay. While you're getting that, don't play it yet, but just get ready. Uh, this was a final report of a, uh, Piper PA-28 and Robinson R-22 helicopter collision. A private pilot in a fixed-wing airplane was landing at the airport following a personal flight, and a flight instructor and a pilot receiving instruction were conducting a flight review in a helicopter and practicing maneuvers in the airport traffic pattern. The instructor reported that he or the pilot receiving instruction made radio calls on the common traffic advisory frequency, we call it CTAF, before each turn in the pattern. When the helicopter was one mile from the runway, the pilot receiving instruction turned the helicopter on a final approach. After completing a steep approach, the pilot receiving instruction brought uh, the helicopter into a hover about 15 feet above the runway threshold. The airplane pilot stated that he heard a heavy buzzing sound on the CTAF, like a helicopter rotor and a barely distinguishable word. He scanned for traffic and declared being on downwind. The airplane pilot quickly turned to the base leg of the traffic pattern and and then proceeded to land the airplane Plane then struck the helicopter from behind as the airplane landed on the same runway as the helicopter and now saying it landed on the runway is eh, kind of a stretch go ahead liz play it here we go okay here's the footage and oh oh that's quite a landing let's see it again uh, it's going to play again oh, i'm sorry i should have told you that Liz. it's a it's a loop and there boom
0: it's not a loop that's a crash well that's
2: yes, more like a aileron roll <laughs> very close to the ground so here we go again boom hits the helicopter look
6: oh, at the shoot. wings and, fold well. yeah the
2: the wing on the left wing uh folded as it hit the um hit the runway um mm. spectacular piece of uh, video footage um if you want to watch it yourself uh, make sure you check out the show notes and i'll have a link to it there what do you think about that um Looks like uh, there I was know, some.
3: it was a nice day, and see and avoid. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. That's what I think about it. But mostly. yeah,
2: he didn't avoid. He didn't no, even know I the know. helicopter was there until know it was there. right before he hit it. I guess. Um, yeah, so you know, CTAF system. There's not a operating control tower uh, and ATC specialists to sort things out. You know, you're on your own out there, and that's kind of. It's interesting, isn't it, Steph? You you do a lot of flying into fields that don't have operating towers.
3: Mm -hmm. Most of the flying I do is at airfields that do not have towers. So, yeah, there's always that, you know, we talk about that um, element of situational awareness. Um, The tricky part is, you know, most uncontrolled fields, especially if people are doing pattern work or something like that, or coming in or out of that um, area, will talk on the CTAF and at least let you know their intentions sometimes more frequently than, than not. Um, but at least you can build that mental picture of where everyone is and what they're doing, what they're trying to do. Um, it's a little trickier when people are transiting an area over a smaller airfield and might not be on the right frequency because then you really don't know they're there. Um, I will say that ADS-B technology has made that a lot better, a lot more comfortable. Um, but you still have to be careful. So if it's VFR conditions, you gotta be eyes outside and looking at what's going on around you.
2: Yeah, this happened in twenty seventeen, so that was before the
3: the mandate on the mandate on the, mm-hmm. yeah
2: uh, you're right, though, you know, having that information available to know where other
3: oh, airplanes it's huge. are. Yeah, I mean, amazing. I can't tell you how many times I see airplanes on the screen within, you know within reasonable proximity that you never hear from. And they're within, you know, or uh, at least close enough to the airfield that a traffic call or a radio call would have been probably a reasonable idea just to say, hey, you know, yeah. passing, you know, two miles west of the field, transiting south to north. know, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> um, and also you got to be on the right frequency. You got to be looking at what, what yeah. frequency that air, that airport is using. So I don't know, just be, you know, if you're out there flying around, be aware of where you are, what you're doing, where you're going, who might be out there with you because it's important.
2: It is.
0: It very much I like the bit where it says, given that the airplane struck the helicopter from behind, (laughs) it's unlikely the helicopter pilots were in a position to see and take action. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Fair enough.
2: (laughs) Now, um, Kelly in the live audience says, uh, oops, that's not the one I wanted to show. This one right here. I wonder why the bystander ran toward the plane, not the helo. Well, number one. I don't know where he
3: was really running. It looks
2: like it looks like uh it, it might be one of those instances of um perspective as far as where the video is being shot and the uh you know the field of view or whatever what is that called again nick i always forget it um, perspective or um
0: you know well, foreshortening, comp- foreshortening or- yeah. Or- yeah yeah Distortion, that might be part of it whatever you wanna
2: the other is call that it. the uh, the helicopter itself they it kind of just turned to the left and then and, and basically landed straight up right and down side up. yeah right side up um so The reason why if he were running toward the um, the airplane, it was if you watch the uh, video, it's very dramatically evident that uh, there's likely to be maybe some injuries in that airplane because the thing just flipped Mm -hmm. upside down. So, Mm -hmm. yeah.
0: Uh, Just making a point um, about the the CFI and the helicopter not establishing situational awareness, but the analysis indicates that the pilot of the aircraft um, was probably not um, making sufficient transmissions. So mm. uh, says. Thus, given the airplane pilot's transmissions were not heard, it's likely that he did not adequately transmit the airplane's position or in the traffic pattern. As to ban helicopters, it's just a, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a different subject entirely. But um, I, and I have a, a for you. <laughs> but uh, it, I, I'm assuming that helicopters uh, make approaches onto runways for a good reason. But why you'd want to hang around once you've you know come to a hover uh that escapes me Don't.
3: yeah i mean i've i've done flying at an airport that does helicopter instruction a couple of times and typically they try to stay uh you know they'll do approaches down the runway and things like that but then they'll be on the taxi where they have their own designated area at that particular airport for where they're going to do hover training and, and things like that so it's not in conflict hopefully because it's an otherwise pretty busy airport as well and uncontrolled or no, uh, I should say, no control tower, classic airport. Yeah, but, yeah.
0: but if you're the helicopter CFI and you're trying to demonstrate something that requires the presence of the runway under you, whether it be an aspect indication or just using it for reference or yeah. whatever, if you're listening out on the frequency and you're not hearing anyone on the approach, I think it's fairly safe to say, well, no one else is making an approach. I'm sitting here. Uh, I'll make use of the runway while I can.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. 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 It seems like it might reasonable. be reasonable.
4: Yeah.
3: You expect to be seen in broad daylight though, usually.
4: That's true. That's the other
3: the other part of it.
4: Yeah.
2: And we you know we try to be reasonable on the show. Sometimes. We don't always Sometimes. succeed, but we try.
0: <laughs> 50%.
2: <laughs> yeah. 50% of the time we're pretty darn reasonable. All right. Uh moving to item D and uh This is um, an accident that occurred in New York City uh, that was sent in by Radio Roger, who does cover the news there in New York City. And uh, a woman has died and two other people, including the pilot, have been hospitalized in critical condition when a small plane crashed onto a concrete pier in the Queens borough of New York City on Sunday afternoon, the New York Fire Department said. Uh, They tweeted Sunday night that crews remained at the pier where the single-engine airplane crashed around 3 p.m. local time. FDNY said witnesses reported seeing the plane traveling rather fast along the water, skipped twice, and hit the pier. Officials said there was no explosion or fuel hazard. FDNY said the investigation into the crash will be handed over to the Federal Aviation Administration and the New York Police Department identities of the victims were not immediately released. Uh, They said the pilot is a resident of Queens and he may have been trying to land. Nobody on the ground was hurt in the accident. And this is a float plane. Um, What kind is it? 182, I think, uh, Steph, is that what uh, we're looking at? Yeah. 182P skyline. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. Sorry. I was not on the picture, sir.
2: Okay. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Let's see. Witnesses told CBS news, New York, that they heard a loud Boom. We thought it was a truck crash or something. And then my cousins, dot, 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 we came outside and saw the plane. I guess you just fill in the blank there, what they said after cousins. Uh, it sounded like a tractor trailer going through my room, another person said. Apparently they have a lot of tractor trailer trucks around there. <laughs> Using that to describe the sound of the crash.
3: That, uh, yeah, <laughs>
2: And uh, a good Samaritan was out there on a jet ski. He helped the passengers and was able to pull two people from the the wreckage. So there we were three seriously injured passengers, but I guess, uh, one of them succumbed to their injuries and, uh,
3: at least yeah. one, I think maybe, or maybe more, one more as well. Cause okay. looking down just at the actual accident yeah. report from, uh, okay. flight safety. Foundation, oh yeah. Two fatalities, two fatalities.
2: Yeah, you're right. Well, that's no good. Um, I guess stuff. You, do you have a float plane rating? I do. Yeah, is it? So, is, what what are the thing, what, the hazards there are in, involved in landing in that that's kind of condition? So,
3: I don't know entirely what happened in this situation. It was a landing attempt, but they were still traveling very fast near the the pier. I mean, I've I've seen the pictures mm-hmm. um, after impact here, and they, they were definitely traveling very quickly. Very crumbled um, up. Yeah, yeah. So you know, just like any other landing. So you want to be on your airspeed. You want to be on it. it, Depending on the type of water condition too, that makes a difference for your references for landing. Um, So smooth surface versus rough surface versus. um, And just making sure that, you know, if you're landing into the wind, downwind, all that type of stuff for, for speed. But there was something else that happened here, I think, because I know this, um, I've seen some reports that this pilot was, I think based there and very familiar with the area, um, often flying multiple times a day. So I don't know exactly what caused him to be traveling at such high rate of speed hmm. near the pier. I'm not sure.
2: Of course, that was a witness report, and maybe they're just not used to seeing airplanes that close. Or
3: yeah, I, I want. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Like I said, yeah. I think there was some some other factors at play here that okay. I don't know.
0: Uh, Steph, once you've touched down. The- Mm float plane how quickly does it decelerate
3: Uh, pretty quickly if you don't have any power in
0: yeah yeah if you keep power
3: up then you can get back on the step and keep taxiing at pretty high rate of speed um but if you're you know if you've got the power all the way back it's going to slow down pretty quickly on the surface of the water
0: yeah. And and I'm just I'm just thinking if you're floating uh and you're a bit fast and you're floating and you're trying to get the airplane down, you might say, Oh, I I can do this, I can get it on the water and we'll stop pretty quick. But uh you know That's
3: possible. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah, maybe but then like, you don't. And they and were like level. aiming to ride
2: at the pier or something and thinking they were gonna stop.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, mm. Or perhaps distraction, I don't know.
3: Yeah. Distraction or trying to avoid something else that was, you know, we just saw someone avoiding a horse on a, a grass strip. There's That's boats and true. other watercraft and things. And if someone was in their way last minute and they tried to go around, but I don't know. Yep, yep. I'm not sure.
4: Yes. Well,
2: it could have been flying fish in the way. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Definitely. the flying fish. <laughs>
2: okay. Um, yeah. Not really. Sure. A lot of things could have been a, a factor of, here.
3: Yeah. There's, there's a lot of possibilities. So,
2: Oh, doctor! this is good advice from Dr. Dan. You don't power slide in a float plane. Bad mm-hmm. idea. Obviously, this man has experience with that.
4: <laughs>
2: Thank you, Dr. Dan. All right. Uh, let's move on. Item E. And why did somebody think I wasn't able to be uh, pronounce this name? <laughs> Liz is just trying to be helpful, she says. I would have said it's pronounced Kelowna. And Oh, I'm right. Okay. Kelowna flight cut short after it took off with concrete tie down attached.
3: Oops. I would have pronounced it wrong. <laughs> would
2: you? <laughs> yeah, what, what would you have said?
3: I don't know now that the pronunciation <laughs> okay. is there, but I don't think I would have said that. Uh,
2: this was sent in by a couple of our APG community members, Chris and Ian. And this is from infotel.ca. Ah, the source of the article is from Canada, so we're going to be a little skeptical. Um, just kidding. Ah, Kelowna is in Canada.
0: Do, do you oh, think? That, that do explains they, why he <laughs> took off with the concrete block attached.
2: So do, I wonder if they have any kind of fragrances there, like maybe a Kelowna cologne. <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> uh, a Beach 76 four-seater aircraft, similar to one in the photo, uh, had, its, had to cut its flight short. After departing from Kelowna International Airport, uh, because um, it had some unwanted cargo. and uh, a This southern- is
3: like, you know, you've seen people who fill up their car with gas and then forget to remove the pump. Oh, yeah. A little from- drag. <laughs> <laughs> and it like yanks it off of the. <sighs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Oops. A-, a Southern Interior Flight Center Beach 76 had just departed Kelowna's airport's runway. One six on Monday, October 5th, and was airborne when the tower noticed the aircraft still had a tie-down rope and a cement block attached to its tail. (laughs) It's just not really performing like it normally does. Do
3: you you hear something odd going down the... But it's a great advert for the aircraft, isn't it? I mean, we can fly with
0: concrete blocks tied to us, so yeah, get one of these airplanes. (laughs) The pilot
2: was advised, and without delay, made a crosswind turn in order to make a downwind landing on runway 16, stating on the radio, you don't think anybody saw me, did you? Do you?" Uh, Unfortunately, the trailing cement block shattered upon impact with the runway, forcing a cleanup of the runway before further traffic could land or take off. Which
0: which took 10 minutes. I mean, that's really an important thing to put in this article, Yeah, it was a big it was
2: a big concrete block it took some time
4: yeah.
2: <laughs> thankfully the aircraft wasn't damaged only the pilots um uh, what, what's what's the pride word? Pride. Pride. pride yes the, only guess. the pilots pride was injured and the airport was able to resume normal operations wow well
0: i think that's i think it's it's a really good advert for this airplane yes <laughs> yeah i would try it next <laughs> time with one on either wing that would be good Liz is
2: wondering what he put in his logbook. (laughs) (laughs) Remember that time. You make
3: make a little note, you know, on the side, like (laughs) remarks. um, Cement
2: block tie down. Yeah.
3: (laughs) That's flight. -flight, um, (laughs) Pre-flight. Missed that one. (laughs) (laughs) She'll
2: Should should do better next time. Pay more attention.
3: (laughs) More thorough pre-flight. You know,
2: you've heard this before, haven't you, uh, uh, Steph, where uh, people have taken off with the tow bar attached?
3: Oh, yeah.
2: yeah. Now, uh, granted, the tow bar for a GA airplane is it's gonna not be like the tow bar on an airliner. <laughs> no. It's, uh, you'd probably notice that. Um, well,
0: maybe not. My first flying job, I stopped my boss from taxiing out and taking off with the tow bar on his Cessna Twin. Hmm. Uh, I don't know, what, 410? Cessna 410 sounds about right. Oh, uh, yeah. 310. Mm-hmm. And everyone said thank you. Really? No. What a what jerk. A jerk. <laughs> man. I mean, it would have presumably jammed up the undercarriage doors. Mm-hmm. As you saved
2: his to... life, potentially.
0: <laughs> he didn't seem to say. think that. Yeah. Yeah. He was a Kiwi as well. Mean yeah. man.
2: There you go. Yeah.
3: Explains it.
0: <laughs>
4: Explains yeah.
3: it. We're that just out to see how many me. different nationalities we can <laughs> offend in one show.
2: We're pretty on track for... Most of the nationalities. Well, I'm sure we
0: can get to at least 50%.
3: Okay.
2: <laughs> That's what we're shooting for.
4: <laughs> always, our, always our aim. It's
2: always our aim. All right. Um, let's see. Oh, now here's an interesting one. Uh, so, you know, there are a lot of, with the COVID and, you know, the, the effects of it and people losing their jobs and that kind of thing, including pilots. A lot of pilots are being furloughed, uh, et cetera. And uh, down in Australia, Let's see. The headline of this is pilot scheme. Planes may be grounded, but there's work in Australia, and uh, there's a little bit of a video here. uh, um, Let's see, Liz, can you go ahead and play the video? Let's see while I continue. Okay.
1: Uh, Oh! Whoa! Hang on! Wait! Wait! Turn! Turn
3: it off! Turn it off! Oh! I'm sorry. What was I'm just gonna say there's some very good-looking pilots in Australia. (laughs)
0: Wow. Well, uh, Well, I. I
2: suppose that there's work in that field as well. Um,
0: it's a hot country, so I guess you you don't have <laughs> you to wear a close. lot of clothes when yeah. you're flying. <laughs> Is that right?
2: Yeah, I think that was the wrong uh, that was the wrong video. Oh, Liz, sorry. I guess, that was but, one of my personal videos. <laughs> that was one
3: of Liz's personal videos. She said. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what. Yeah, it's Ooh, getting hot here. yeah it's warm here now definitely <laughs> warm in Australia warm yeah talk actually about down under what did you
2: say Liz talk about down under. talk
4: about down
2: down under <laughs> <laughs> very good that's a good one all right um let me uh let me start this one over uh the cabin of a harvester in the middle of a vast wheat field might be a strange place to find an airline pilot at work <laughs> but for Andrew King it all makes sense. King worked as a passenger jet pilot for uh, Hainan Airlines yeah. but has been on leave without pay since the pandemic hit in February. Now several factors have combined to create a surprising opportunity in literally a new field. Coronavirus restrictions have reduced the number of backpackers available to help bring in what is promising to be a bumper a bumper harvest. And uh, is that the name of the video uh, that you in your, your yes. personal <laughs> collection? Bumper harvest. Yeah.
3: That's that's why it, there was a little mix up there. Now,
2: now we know why <laughs> easy, a easy
3: mistake. <laughs> Bump and grind
2: harvest. Bump and grind harvest. Okay, and pilots have turned out to have the right set of skills to fill the gap. Ooh. <laughs> I did Guess not worse like, and worse. That, that's what the article says. I did not make that one up. It just happens to fit in perfectly, actually. Matt Stewart ooh I did it again. Uh, Matt Stewart of Whitaker Stewart Harvest and Hollage has hired King to work up and down the East Coast through the summer.
3: I can't I'm sorry. To be clear, what what is this professional? They're working on a here? farm. A farm Uh, Oh my
2: gosh. Um.
0: I think the next (laughs) sentence really says it all. We wouldn't have thought about it in a million years, but we saw that they were a really good fit.
2: (laughs) Well, how about this one? Um, If they can fly a plane, I'm sure they
0: can try. (laughs) Uh, What the gentleman's trying to say is. If they can fly a plane, I'm sure they can drive a header. I'm glad that
3: you can speak, Nick, because I've lost that capacity. I'll I'll finish it if you want. Please. King found out about farming jobs targeting pilots on a Facebook group called Pilots for Harvest 2020, where farmers and aviation staff are encouraged to wake up.
0: (laughs) What more can you say? It's like <laughs> <sighs>
3: Yeah. It was set up by farmer Amanda Thomas, who saw an opportunity in the bleak outlook for the aviation industry. It's the fact that we don't have the backpackers and that air travel has shut down. So we've got this big crop. So it's these three things have come together for a bit of a perfect storm. Thomas says, I was having a think about what are the areas and industries that we could tap into? And it just seemed like a logical choice. <laughs> King says he is eager for the challenge. <laughs> they recognized the transferability of the skill set of an airline pilot, someone who could operate heavy equipment and <laughs> learn large amounts of information quickly and remain proficient. <laughs> Excellent. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the change in scenery. I'm looking oh, I forward bet to you. camaraderie with other people doing it. <laughs> Just it. <laughs> The group has more than eight hundred members. Ooh. As the industry, has- talking about their members.
0: Jeff's know. I can't even
3: uh, keep it. I'm sorry, folks. The group has more than eight hundred members as the industry heads into the harvesting season. And Thomas thinks it will keep growing as farmers and pilots bring their friends into the conversation.
0: I'm sure they'll throw their keys in a pot in the middle.
3: <laughs> it's quite. Con- New South Wales-based, but it's starting to spread to Victoria, and Western Australia will be in dire need of help soon. Uh,
0: oh, boy. The, screaming out for skilled workers.
3: <laughs> in the wettest winter since 2016, it has dragged much of New South Wales oh, out of yeah. the drought, and led to a 300% year-on-year increase in the winter harvest, which usually includes wheat, barley, and canola. The shortage in the skilled labor has affected the entire industry with a lack of fruit pickers <laughs> in Western Australia and nut pickers as well. <laughs> state government leading the state government to launch a much mocked advertising campaign aimed at getting young people to help farmers. <laughs> Other suggestions to uh, bolster the workforce have included raising the level of the job seeker payment for those who go to help with the harvest or offering refugees a path to permanent residency. The government is due to announce incentives in the budget for those on job seeker or youth allowance to work on farms. So um, it goes on for quite a bit more. Yeah, it does. You know, if you want to read the entire
2: article, we'll have it in the show notes.
3: Any pitches? (laughs) Well, 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 there's that mix up.
0: uh, Liz says
2: she'll put a link to her. Or video as well <laughs> <laughs> <Shut up. laughs> oh my yeah so it's a it, it's a good uh i can't even say it anymore um it, it's very creative it, uh use nice of their skills yeah 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 so i thought that was a
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think the, the point is there, pilots have a lot of transferable skills mm-hmm. into many areas, uh, yes. o- many occupations you wouldn't have previously thought of.
2: Yes, so true.
3: Hillel would like to know how one becomes a refugee from the U.S. and Australia to apply for these uh, jobs. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Not sure
0: about that. Well, it only costs upon £10. So, uh...
2: <laughs> All So, right, I think uh, it's best for us to move on now.
3: Yeah. Yes, quickly. Uh,
2: this was sent in um, by um, a, a few of you. Landon um, is the one that we're reading here. It says Acme to retire the Boeing 717 by 2025. Every airplane Jeff touches, it dies.
3: <laughs> yep. Uh, they, they're calling uh, me uh, huh. Captain Death.
2: The Jeff, I
3: mean, this has to be the artwork for Jeff this Grim show. Reaper. It's already done. <laughs> yeah, true. True. <laughs>
2: Yes, it is true that every airplane that I touch, the only exception being the t thirty eight is still out there flying, but it'll soon also be gone, and uh, the airplane that I'm now training to fly on is slated for early retirement. but I think based on what I've heard so far um, from my friends over at uh, Delta Airlines that uh it will be uh, flying until uh, I think uh, in late 2025. So if I were flying for that company, I would be able to retire on that airplane. It's very similar to Acme.
0: Excellent. Mm. Uh, let's yeah. see. Great timing, I think.
2: Yeah.
4: Timing is everything. It is. Yeah.
2: And they're getting rid of the 717 200s, the seven six seven three hundred ers by December of 2025. Meanwhile, the CRJ-200s will be retired by December of 2023. That's when... Woo. And Jeff at Acme Aren't will they be fairly retiring. New? Pardon?
0: Aren't those CRJs reasonably new?
2: No, not the 200s. I think oh, most okay. of the 200s are older. Right, oh, okay. uh, Stuff.
3: I don't know, but uh, uh, listeners will know that it's not my favorite aircraft yeah, to so ride really on as a care. passenger, so I am <laughs> so you're very happy. excited about this retirement announcement.
2: <laughs> well, this this uh, is from simpleflying.com and uh, uh, one of the uh, let me read this part of the article. Uh, Delta Airlines has 91 Boeing 717-200s in its fleet. At the end of the second quarter of 2020, the airline only owned 13 of these aircraft, meaning the rest were on lease. These planes have an average age of a, of just under 19 years, making them a little old for short-haul short, short haul workhorses. And I'm thinking, yeah, this person doesn't really know much about DC-9s and the fact that they have, like, the highest one of the highest cycles, as far as you know, operating them forever and ever and ever, and uh, much more so than a lot of airplanes out yeah, there that you know, have be thinking
0: about plastic airbuses.
2: Well, I, or not necessarily. I mean, there are some other metal uh, fuselage airplanes that just don't, uh, you know, you don't just don't get that many cycles out of. So, I don't think that's really um, why they um, are getting rid of them. They're just not going to be as, uh, economical to operate as some of the newer options out there. So anyway, if you want to read the rest of the article, at least this one about that, it's from simplifying.com and it will begin the show notes last, but not least, uh, item H here. Samad S A M A D or Samad aerospace unveils luxury Q Starling personal air vehicle. And I think Nick and I were talking a little bit about this on the last episode um, that we were looking at this news item. Maybe we were talking about it off, off camera, but uh, uh, it's a British company um, making a British hybrid electric V toll um, aircraft. And uh, Liz is putting some of the pictures up now. Um, and where's the part of the article that talks about the fact that um, it has a big fan um. To do its, uh, it's, a, let's it's see.
3: like Q styling will be powered by a yeah. hybrid electric turbo generator, which will provide power for a large diameter hover fan and a fly-by-wire controlled reaction control system.
2: Yes. Now we're looking at the artists' renditions of said airplane. I, you know, I don't see a big large diameter fan. Yeah, I
0: they, they, I found one eventually. Oh, you did? Uh, yeah, there's a pair of folding doors uh, behind the passenger compartment. And then it reveals a very large circular fan. And then it has other fans in the tailplane and in the wingtips, okay. which are like reaction controls. So that allows you to control the aircraft when you're hovering i noticed there wasn't one in the front so i'm not quite sure how you stop the airplane pitching down unless the hmm. ones at the back are reversible but uh, i'm sure they've thought of that but it all seems to fare away when you uh, uh, when you close up and get into a proper forward flight a wingborne flight then uh, oh <laughs> very good <laughs> yes it will need a very large fan lane
2: yeah and uh- Liz is wondering if um, Greg Peterson has anything to do with. um,
0: Mm, He might have some. some Well, his company is supplying the very large fans. They'll. It might
2: be. Yeah, his company might be providing the Mm. very large donkeyish fans.
0: I think it's going to be quite expensive. Yeah, it's using ultra light carbon fiber for high performance capability. Uh, It'll be semi aerobatic. Um, because of the uh, strength of the materials and the design, I don't think it's going to be the sort of uh, Uber taxi of um, light aviation. It's, it's a good-looking airplane, uh, at least the yeah. re-
2: artist rendition of it.
0: I, I think it looks a bit <clears throat> like a duck, but apart from
3: that, well, okay. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> it does have kind of anthropomorphic. Promor- I can't say that, that. anthropomorphic features. Anthropomorph, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That Those word. Too. Yes. Kind of looks like it has a little grin and eyes and, you know,
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it does. I don't know what that is. What is that? That turquoise colored thing. Is that part I of the know. headrests?
3: I have no idea. It looks
4: like it's on the. Um... I have no idea. Liz thinks it like, looks yeah, like the Geico big. Gecko. Flying yeah. the airplane.
2: <laughs> okay. Yeah, that could be. Yeah, like a little face. Yeah, you're right. It is. Isn't it cute? all right well so if you're Platypus, looking yeah. for a uh a very cute looking hybrid electric VTOL vertical
3: takeoff line here. thing
2: uh, when does it say it's going to be ready to go uh does it say? say there is a press release here um I don't know in the future in the future thank you
4: perfect <laughs>
2: all right well that's it for news thank goodness and uh that means, where is the... Oh no, here it is. It's time. It is time to talk about what has been going on with us since the last episode. The Getting to Know Us segment. <sighs> well, who would like to go first?
6: Ladies oh, first.
2: I think, um, Steph is, uh, HR is pointing to your video thumbnail, sir, so...
0: Oh really? He, yes, that was that was that. that yeah, problem. you should go first. Age,
3: age before beauty.
2: Oh, okay. he's going to put himself on top. Of it. Look at <laughs> that!
3: <laughs> yeah, all right, right, fair enough. Take right. take the lead there, Nick. Okay, um, what,
0: what's happened to the last week? Uh, I have been uh, way too busy actually because uh, it, it's funny isn't it? you, you get one photographic job and uh, quite often it quickly leads to another and then another. What kind and, of job? Uh, yeah. Oh, oh, well, photographic just, uh, i'm sorry sh- i thought you shoot. said a different yeah, uh, photograp- uh, word sorry photographic <laughs> so i've been doing um a bunch of uh photography assignments he's not
3: in
2: australia <laughs> i know I, thinking, I still have that australia yeah. story in my head sorry
0: yeah yeah sadly not i think that'd be a great <laughs> job there um uh so i've I've been working really hard doing all that and uh, trying to keep up with the plane tails. um so I've actually spent way too much time sitting at this damn computer mm. such that my back is uh complaining bitterly um other than that, nothing aviation related sadly um um no nothing at all really so yeah. It's, it's like I'm, I never was a pilot, any. You know. I just, <laughs> have
3: you, yeah, what are you doing in the yeah. show? Exactly. I have gosh. no idea. <laughs> I, I,
0: what yeah. is that?
2: Uh, you have a, a green screen and you have a photo um, behind you, and it looks like it's some kind of a tent in Arabia. It is. What is ex- that? Exactly. <laughs> oh, is it that is. exactly
0: what? Okay. It is okay. <laughs> this uh, the, the heart of your government, old chap.
2: Wait, that's not Arabia.
0: No, it's not. No, that's that's the the dome yeah. uh, in Capitol.
2: Okay, the Capitol
0: building on Capitol Hill. And, the, and yes. the, I
2: didn't realize they had a tent there, it, or that must be the
0: that's the curtain the, or is the, it? the plush the drapery you guys mm-hmm. have there. Oh, very nice. So, uh, yeah, I, I I don't know if you remember this is a few mm-hmm. years back. I was doing yeah. a Washington trip, and uh, one of our lovely listeners who was. Um, a, media, a director of media for mm-hmm. uh, the House of Representatives very kindly invited me uh, along for a, a private tour. And I uh, brought some of the crew along, and we had a great day. Uh, and it's such a fantastic looking building. Of course, I really enjoyed the opportunity to take some photographs. But
2: uh, I think Dr. Dan is being quite rude. Um, I, I don't know why you're calling Nick a rotunda. In, on Capitol <laughs> yeah. Hill, but that's just not very. I've lost fair. a lot
0: of weight since then. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh. So yeah, that was that was absolutely fabulous. Um yeah, and, I do remember uh, that. Very kind of. Yeah. Uh, he he showed us all sorts of you uh, know bits that you wouldn't normally get to, like the the back stair where one of the senators was murdered by, uh, sorry, one of the senators senators murdered a uh, reporter, and his mm-hmm. blood Probably for good stained. Reason.
3: <laughs> Because
4: they couldn't actually, get their aircraft.: was.
0: I think it was I think uh, the reporter murdered the senator, <laughs> right. actually. Oh yeah, I think so. Shot him, because uh, oh. uh, this senator was being very mean to this reporter, so he shot him, and the Senator blood stains the, the marble staircase.. Oh. And, a few other. and we went on the yeah, we were on the underground train uh, that travels from Capitol Hill to some of the outlying buildings, and uh, oh, very impressive stuff. Lovely. Like stuff that most people don't get a chance to see. Yeah, I mean there are obviously public tours around there, mm. but it was great to be able to get into um, on the floor of the House of Representatives and uh, get off the floor. Uh, yeah, and see the um, <laughs> Nick has the floor. <laughs> the bullet holes uh, where someone took a pot shot at the uh, um, the senior. No, uh, what are the, what's the chap called who's got the, the most up. number of senators and? The Speaker of the House. Oh, the speaker, speaker of the House. Yeah, in the Senate, it's the Ma-
2: Senate Majority Leader. Uh, this in the is House, the House of
0: Representatives. Speaker.
3: Uh, majority Whip, Minority. I don't know, I actually. Don't know. So, so I, anyway, I someone politics, up in I the
0: balcony no took a pot shot at him. And oh. uh, you can you can mark where the bullet went through the desk and through the drawer in the desk and then hit the floor. Very, uh, it almost got him, nearly. Not quite, oh. right, nearly got him. Better Ooh, luck uh, next time. <laughs> that's got nothing to do with what I was doing this no. week. So uh no. And uh oh I uh, yeah had a little medical checkup, so it looks like I'm gonna live a bit longer, which is oh, always that's good. Darn. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <Darn. Saturday. laughs> Stuff. Yeah, you're not in my, i mean you're
3: congratulations not
0: in, you're not in my will you know steph no. you know this? well really? if you were you're not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> good point yeah. good point yep so that's me all done and dusted
2: oh nice 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 oh
0: still so awesome. i haven't got my damn camera yet oh the, no they they still haven't made enough so there's, oh. there's none to be had well i did see some of the photos
2: you uh uh took um, of the uh, of the dogs and stuff and uh, they were
0: beautiful yeah, beautiful. A, uh, yeah a, v- a very pretty little spaniel uh,
3: yeah.
0: in the studio that was some nice little
4: joke. very good all right Steph
3: yeah Um. no flying stuff to report for me from the past weekend but I did have a couple of very dear friends in town Um. kind of had a mini vacation I was off monday this week um which was nice monday is usually a very busy day for me but um one of my childhood friends actually someone i've known for 30 plus years at this point uh, and who i do a lot of running with and another running friend of mine all came to my house this weekend and the reason being we were supposed to be in london this past weekend for the rescheduled london marathon but they ran an elite only race kind of right around um near buckingham palace and um told everyone else if you wanted to run you could just do it virtually on your own wherever you live and do it with our app and you'll submit your time and you'll get an official finisher medal for the virtual race and blah 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 so you weren't weren't elite enough oh no okay (laughs) no the elite race has only had i mean a couple dozen people in each race the men's and women's it was was pretty fast of the best very best of the best socially distant you know all that good stuff they had and not the usual course they had to do like nineteen laps of uh,
2: the park basically so where where did you do your run?
3: I did mine on a local track, ah. so for those who are not familiar with running, welcome to the running podcast, which i'm <laughs> going to uh, spend a brief amount of time on um Marathon is 42.195 kilometers or 26.2 miles. Take your pick for whichever measurement system you prefer. Um, On the track, that's 105.5 laps if you run on the inside lane for 400 meters. So, Oh, man. Yeah. But my my two friends were very sensible. They were signed up to actually run the London Marathon. They did not elect to run the virtual. So it was just me on the track. But they were nice enough to come out to the track with me anyway and um, heckle mostly and uh watch (laughs) Uh, and drink beer and it was actually chilly um you know it started off we were in the the upper 60s and it felt nice and comfortable and actually this is the only time i've ever run like i'll put race in quotations here but where i've actually had to put more clothing back on as i continued into the the evening um yeah yeah, it dropped down into the 40s so it was was pretty chilly um i drank a beer um, on my last mile You weren't um, as
0: badly off as the uh, people in London, though, because it was was absolutely hosing down. Yeah.
3: So I actually did my run before that race happened. So you had a 24-hour period to complete the race, starting at midnight British summertime and ending at midnight British summertime all on October 4th. So that's 7 p.m. here. So the only only thing I found out, in order to get the app to work, to track correctly, you had to set your phone to local time in England.
2: Uh, no otherwise I you were in the
3: wrong time zone. <laughs> they weren't expecting
2: people to do this in other parts of the world.
3: Obviously not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just small technical glitch there. But that uh, took me about twenty minutes to, no, to no, figure out, not interested
0: you know. in Johnny foreigners, you know. Oh, that's I know.
3: True. I know, right? Um so yeah, so that was that was a lot of fun. It was fun to have them here. They wanted to watch the race, and I think I'm the only of the uh three of us that had the appropriate cable network to watch the actual race happened but that happened at like two o'clock in the morning local time so i just recorded it and we got up had our breakfast and coffee and whatnot
2: and is that the first the time that day? you've uh, had a beer uh, on the last mile of a marathon
3: mm, no no oh. <laughs> oh on the last mile in yeah. the last mile yes okay i've actually run one other marathon the only time i ran the charlotte marathon which i did not love the course um first half went great second half was not going so well and someone offered a pbr about midway through the second half of the race and i took it and walked ah. and drank that beer and enjoyed it very much um so it was not a race <laughs> for time um you know it was it was fun and i appreciate my friends being there and they made yeah, they made signs like every lap uh, there was a new sign to read they made <laughs> <Wow>. 105 signs <laughs> wow they <laughs> yeah they are good they friends were, they, were very, they are good friends um and we actually had some reasonably nice weather during the day you know mid 70s and sunny so you have to spend some time outside and enjoy yeah, it was very nice, and that was my mini uh, preview vacation because I'm actually on vacation today, and I'm on oh. vacation all next week. Yay! Yay! Happy vacation. Oh, it's very nice. All next week, work. huh? All next week. Very good.
0: So, have has your uh, London marathon uh, jacket pitched up yet?
3: It has not, but my my oh. considerable thanks to Captain Nick for forwarding it on to me because <laughs> well, I could only arrived send it. Yet, so I wouldn't. I thank could you. only. Well, oh, we'll see. The last. The Royal Mail was able to deliver my information for the London Marathon on time. Oh, good! Like the week before, So That was. I I do have some faith in the. I think we didn't pay much
0: for it because it like it would fit in the average coffee mug.
2: Well, I hope you didn't try. I hope you didn't try to put that on because I don't think it was your size.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I have. I have other. jackets from that brand that are very similar. The New York City Marathon has the same jacket. So I've just looked at the size I ordered there and got the same size. Oh well. No, because I had I had a I don't know, I had like a 30% off coupon for actually having run the the race. Oh right. okay. Okay. Cool. But yeah I couldn't send it to my home address so I had to send it to Nick because it had to be a UK address from there.
0: I thought I was getting a present I know I should have (laughs) said I'll
3: do that next time. Oh, what is this?
2: Yeah, so I was all excited. Yeah, he thought it was his camera. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he was
2: so disappointed.
0: And then it uh. said Stephanie Plummer on the top. I mean, no, jeez, gosh.
3: <laughs> no, thank you very much. I owe you a beer for the the postage. Apparently, a couple of beers, uh, probably.
0: Uh, yes. <laughs>
3: yeah, several. A couple
0: of beers will suffice. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Big burns.
2: Any big plans right. for a vacation next week, or are you just going to hang yeah, out? Yeah. So it
3: involves more running. So I'll well, fill you in on that later, because I think I've said enough about running now. Okay. And it'll be out in the desert Southwest. So looking forward oh, to that. Very nice. With um, my same, one of the friends who was here with me this past weekend. Oh, I know. And then also my brother.
2: Yeah. I heard about this. I remember yeah. now.
3: Yeah, but I'll fill you in next week. Cause How's the weather the out up. there right now? Pretty good? Um, Depends on where you're, so we're going to be up kind of in some higher terrain. Mm-hmm. So it'll be in the 70s huh. and sunny. Nice. In the uh, lower altitudes, it's going to be in the 90s, but I only have like two days, three days there.
2: So, well, I can't wait to hear about it.
3: Yeah, fill you in.
2: Okay, very good. And um, nothing going on with me. Let's keep on going.
0: Uh, (laughs) This is going to be the exciting bit.
2: (laughs) No, it's not that exciting. I am. um, I I just started, believe it or not, I'm actually, well, I'm not really being productive, but I am doing something other than just, you know, working on the show um, week to week for the last, what, since May 27th. Uh, I have started my training for the ACME 717-200. Uh, which is also the McDonnell Douglas MD ninety five. You know, yeah, 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 I've heard about it. Um, just started that on Monday. Uh, classroom on Monday, and then Tuesday we took a little test, and I have to say that I scored. And it was ding, a little, ding, ding, l- ding, yeah, a little bit unusual for APG kind of related 50%. stuff because fifty percent, right. times two. Ooh, one hundred percent.
0: You mean you cheated?
2: Well, it was. It was. Thank you. <laughs> Do it again. Put it up there again. Thank
0: you. That's 100%. You see the 50% right. twist. Uh, it, it that was, was 100% just for getting your name right?
2: No, it was like uh, 150 questions or something like that. Oh, really? Um, and But it was kind of an open book kind of thing. And uh, apparently, the, the younger fellows, uh, two others that were in my little group, uh, decided that uh, finishing as quickly as possible was more important than being. Correct. <laughs> so sounds
4: like the younger
0: I generation. Was, yeah,
2: the younger generation. Those whippersnappers. Yeah, the tortoise and tortoise and the hare, and uh, I. I was the tortoise, and I got what the what was the
0: required pass mark?
2: Uh, eighty. Okay. Eighty percent.
0: So you could have just filled out eighty percent of the questions and then left. Yeah,
2: actually, uh, it's kind of cool. Uh, the guy that was administering the, it was a computer-based test, you know, electronics systems validation. Uh, said that he would keep track of everything, and then if it looked like we were um, on a on a negative track to not get you know eight out of ten or sixteen out of twenty or whatever that uh he would um try to alert us to the fact that we needed to concentrate and focus a little bit more so uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you
0: <yeah>, the back <laughs> yeah. hey Neil said concentrate, <laughs> yeah. focus yeah, yeah anyway. So, well, I'm very pleased to hear that you got through did that already. you tell
4: right. them how massive your class is,
2: Jeff? Yeah, it's a, uh, well, how massive my story. what is, Liz? <laughs> oh, no, yeah, that's not for the show. Oh, no, how large the class is, yeah. Um, <laughs> it was only uh, three of us. Um, so I was in the top third. Um, and uh, so my um, first officer that I'm going through training with was one of the other um participants and then another guy who i've flown with many many times and uh all by the way all of us are uh, off the 88 fleet and uh are now on the 717 learning how to fly this thing and uh anyway kurt was the other guy and a very nice guy and he's going through um doesn't have a captain to go through with um so he's getting you know specialized uh what would be attention yeah special attention kelly
3: has a good question here jeff
2: kelly has a good question Liz says, "How much training is needed for someone with 10,000 plus hours on a very similar type and a type rating? It seems like a simple transition." Yeah, technically, this is not this is an initial qualification course, but because you're right, Kelly, I do have um, a DC nine type rating already. It's not type rating training for me, um, and it's interesting because one of the reasons, one of the factors in me choosing the seven one seven as opposed to going to, going to the seven five seven six is that I would qualify for the short course. And um along the way, uh they figured out that well you you only qualify for the short course if you're current and qualified on the uh m d eighty eight m d ninety and I lost my currency in august, and so that basically put me into a different category, which meant that I had to take the full um initial qual course and I'm glad that that happened because I already feel like I'm trying to drink from a fire hose. Right now, and um, wait a minute. What happened there? Can can you guys hear me? Okay, yeah. I'm sorry. I I turned down a fader, and then all of a sudden, I couldn't hear anything. Um, I'm in the uh, initial. I mean, in the long course category now, and I'm glad because um, the um, the uh, short course would have been like way too much stuff to learn in a very too short of a time. So, um, yeah. I have a lot of, yeah, more than 10,000, almost 12,000 hours on the uh, MD-88 and MD-90, but it's uh, different enough that um, I feel like I'm almost, you know, like learning a new airplane. So it's that much, they've modernized a lot of the systems on the airplane. You know, the bones are the same, but, um, you know, the the systems uh, in an effort to make it more modern and more automated um, are, are quite different. So,
0: is the pressurization system any better? Because I know you always had a bit of a thing oh, about that. The,
2: uh, yeah, it seems to be. I don't know. I've actually not been in the, the actual airplane, but from what I've seen so far, I think that they've made some improvements with it and made it simpler, especially if you have to revert to manual pressurization. Um, but, uh, what else was I going to say? Oh, they said that essentially what this, um, 717 MD95 is, is the, the flight deck of the MD 11, the, um, the big, uh, wide body. Um,
0: I was gonna say, how do you, how do you cram that into? Well, they the just little... had to put it,
2: they had to get a bunch of people like squeezing it? from either side. Yes. Stuff <laughs> so it, in there. Does it
0: wrap
1: around you got, like, <laughs> <go> behind you? <laughs> yeah, it does.
2: but you know, nice big screens and, and the, the box is the unusual thing is so that because, uh, Swiss air was the launch customer for the MD 11, they, Designed the flight management computer, flight management system, uh, with more of a European kind of um, way of doing things. Uh, very, so it's very similar. to People that know about these things, I don't because I've never flown an Airbus. But they said the the box is very, very similar to the Airbus style of doing things, as opposed to the Boeing uh, way of doing things. So, um, but you know, I'm I'm figuring it out slowly but surely. Today was a good day because. I got, um, our instructor today was a, is a line, uh, pilot and, uh, he was able to speak more line pilot language than the previous two days. And a lot of light bulbs are going off in my head going, Oh, okay. Cause he was going, look okay, at this here. This means this from what you're used to. Went, oh, okay. I got it. So things are getting better. Great. Connecting the dots Excellent. for sure. Okay, so that's what I've been doing this week and uh have the weekend off and um and then on Monday go back to uh training again. Uh you had been um uh, working on for quite a number of months uh the special mass at my church. A lot of you know that I sing at um at my church. And uh, it was a very special um ritual mass thing for our new archbishop in Atlanta and they um Instead of doing it at the cathedral, which is not as large a space as the church that I go to up here on the north side, they decided to have it here. And uh, we, I was one of probably nine or ten uh, singers in uh, this ensemble. And uh, we've been really, really practicing hard. And I think that we did a wonderful job um, on Wednesday um, midday. So um, that's over with. Thank goodness. Excellent. And um
0: was it an impressive thing to just watch? I mean, apart from yeah, it, I mean it was okay. I mean,
2: yeah. It was uh, you know, they had a lot of um a lot of um I don't know. Yeah, a lot of incense. Actually not as much uh as <laughs> <laughs> Liz and Who my like pump incense. They were incensed. Yeah, they were incensed for sure when they heard me singing. Um but uh not as much incense as I was hoping, but uh, much more than a normal um, weekend mass uh, because they hardly ever use it anymore. Sadly, uh, but not um, after that bloke put the, symbolism um,
0: hash in there. Yeah,
2: yeah. Everybody uh, kind of spaced <laughs> out that that mass. Um, no, the uh, the symbol. A lot of some rich in symbolism. This uh, this mass. Uh, the pallium is a, something that it's a special garment. Not actually a garment. It's almost like a. Well, I guess it's a garment that they put on top of the shoulders the yoke of uh, the archbishop because he's the metro not each not every bishop gets one of these things but since he's a metropolitan archbishop in charge of a bigger territory or whatever uh, the pope has a special pallium they call it that they put it's like the yoke or it's supposed to symbolize like the the uh, bishop putting a lamb over his shoulders the shepherd yes he's the he's the shepherd and we're his sheep and that kind of thing. So it was really brilliant. Nice. Very nice. So, uh, that was, uh, another thing that was, um, a prominent part of my week and uh, the show, which of course is the best part of the week, which is what we're doing right now. So you are now all up to date. All right. Uh, coffee fund. Well, before that though, Liz, I think we need to, uh, no, we do. Yep. And I know that, Liz doesn't want me to talk about this, but uh, yeah. uh, Rory. We're not
3: going to play the video again.
2: Pardon? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's for uh, the post show. Gotcha. Uh, so we got this from Rory, uh, one, of, one of our um, patrons, and he said, uh, Hey, Captain Jeff and crew, I'm a student pilot and a new listener hoping to upgrade next year from my beloved paraglider to a wonderful regu- regulation-free ultralight here in Virginia. Not to pull hairs, but so you know, it's always the feedback is like this when people complain. It's really good stuff at, at the beginning, making you feel, oh, look, this person really loves us and just telling us how great we are.
3: It's the compliment sandwich.
2: Yeah, the, oh, you get a compliment is that what on it is? one
3: end and a compliment <laughs> on the other end, and the complaint in the middle.
2: Let's get the complaint. Okay. Now we're in the meat of it. Not to pull hairs, but on the last episode of APG, you mentioned that the seven twenty seven was completely retired from cargo ops. And I can tell, oh, this is not your mistake, Liz. It was mine.
3: I know, but I've got one in there from David Abbey.
2: Oh, you do? Okay, good. I um, say that? I
3: don't even remember saying that. Just that's not true.
2: Yeah. Uh, let's see. <laughs> I must uh, not have been paying attention. Jeff, you mentioned that the 727 was completely retired from cargo ops. And then I did actually say in the U.S., but that even wasn't correct. He says, I can tell you for a fact that a very few of them are still in the air. Just last Thursday, October 1st, uh, the night Trump caught COVID, uh, Kalita Air 727, I think there's no connection here, uh, took off from it's Newport News off. and flew to Texas. Uh, that was the second coolest airplane to fly that night. At the same time, a brand new Basler BT-67, a modernized slash militarized DC-3, if you can believe it took off from Pax River Naval Air Station and flew around a few hundred miles off Norfolk for about eight hours. Very cool to see such an old airplane completely rebuilt and used in in an extremely modern way. And then he gave us a link to FlightAware to to see the path of this. uh,
3: Is that Kalita 727? Do they do that for um, horse transportation as well?
2: I'm not sure if that's what they're using. I know that there's an outfit. I think they have one that's
3: like, the, like the horses. Out,
2: there's an outfit in um lexington airhorse Air, one airhorse one mm-hmm. okay <laughs> um there's an outfit in uh
4: oh. greg, greg peterson <laughs> yeah greg
2: peterson in lexington there is a company i don't i forgot is that the name of the the uh, company uh liz or is this no, what they it's call the it but they call the plane that they call the plane airhorse one because Air, it's, Air Horse
3: one. it's part of its uh Clitta charters Oh,
2: well, that is Calita.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh.
4: They
2: operate it. I thought it was. A oh, guy's okay. Name. I didn't know the Calida operated it. Okay, mm-hmm. because it doesn't have Kalita colors on it. Because no, I've seen not. it. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, now that makes sense. Just like Atlas does a lot of flying for like the Dreamlifter and that kind of thing. They do contract flying. So, sure. Okay. Very cool. No, it's uh,
0: And wrong. I'd just like to ding, 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 ding. Oh wait a minute! Hang on!
2: Hang on! Hang on! We have a right. we have a little intervention here.
4: Air Horse One, uh, is
0: Rory, a, it, uh, is... you split hairs You don't pull them. If you pull right. them, that's painful. Splitting hairs oh, is the phrase true. you're looking for.
2: Well, Liz, Liz wants, is trying to communicate something to me, um, and I'm sorry, Steph, it's, it's not going to be good for you. Airhorse One Air Horse is one
4: owned
3: by? Is owned by? Airhorse International.
2: Airhorse International. Yeah, but who flies the airplane for them?
3: Yes, it, they operate it.
2: Yeah. Well, okay. Steph says they operate it. Liz says, mm. "Okay."
0: Uh, <laughs> I mean,
4: I
2: believe I admit that i be
3: wrong,
0: but she not say it like that.
3: I have seen recent information, which leads me to
2: believe that yes. oh.
4: Stephanie's right. I'm wrong.
2: Ah, uh, Liz is saying now that she's wrong and Steph's right. Okay, <laughs> good. I'm glad I we didn't got. I did read
3: that. down far enough. Oh, she yeah. did.
2: Liz didn't read the article specifically. Farther, a social media
3: post by one of their pilots. Ah. So, um Okay. Just within like the past week. Oh. Anyway. Uh, and it is a 727. She's right. Something on my computer wants me to update. Yeah, this
2: is, <laughs> this would be a good time to update. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, you are correct. Um, the 7-2 is still being used out there for cargo transport. And uh, as I said, I think there's a couple of companies down in South America and maybe Africa that are still flying the 727s as well. So. Oh, Lane is making a point here about that. No unicorns allowed. Oh. Is that could, is that in the Wikipedia I, I, article?
3: Did the unicorn escape from the 727 <laughs> charter onto this field in Isle of Man? Is that where it came from?
2: I think maybe so, yeah.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. Um and then the ba- the, the Basler uh BT sixty seven, Basler, I think I'm pronouncing that right. Is it Basler or Basler? A uh, company in Wisconsin uh, that basically takes a DC-3 and, like, pre-makes it into a, almost like a brand-new airplane. They put turboprop PT-6 Canada, uh, let's say Pratt & Whitney, Canada, PT-6-something-or-other dash something or other, um, turboprop engines on the thing. Uh, very, very cool. And, uh,
4: yeah.
0: All right. Looks very good with it. Six-bladed props.
2: Yeah. Got a lot of power, I think.
4: So the other correction is in your intro file there, Jeff,
2: oh. from David Abbey. All right. So we have another there. correction here. Oh, no. David, this, this is, is from David Abbey. I
4: know. And it's my.
2: Keep keeping Liz above 50%. Liz said on the last episode that only Singapore and Emirates were still flying the A380. Wrong. Wow. He put all that in caps. <laughs> <laughs> the truth is Emirates, China Southern, and High Fly Malta are the only three flying them now. ANA have been using two of their uh, 380s for pleasure flights to nowhere. (laughs) Um, And then it says here that Liz, and she's telling me now, she apologizes for her. her, I do. Profusely. Yes, profusely. So she's hoping that nobody was offended or made any kind of investment decisions based on any of that information. Okay. All right, have we have we uh, fessed up and cleaned all that up for today's show? Back to fifty (laughs) percent. Back to (sighs) fifty percent. Good. All right. Well, that means then it is time for the coffee fund.
5: Johnny, how much
2: more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A A cup, cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. cup. Oh, yeah. That's Jeff Smith singing the APG Java Jive. And why, you may ask, is he doing that? Well, that's because this is the part of the show where we acknowledge the people, the fine people, that contribute to it financially. And since the last couple different ways to do it, one is called the cafe cafe coffee fun, classic method. And since the last episode, we have Randy Ackerman, Ludger Humpert, Kay Pitts and Masutz Karim, uh, who used the coffee fun, classic method for their contributions. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for all of that. And the other way to do it is to become a patron of the show via patreon.com. And we have a new producer. His name is Rick Barnes. Perhaps you've heard of him. Well, we have because he's a new patron, new producer of the show. Thank you, Rick, for joining this great group of folks. Hey, if you want to support the show financially and you have the resources to do so, please check it out by going over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. We will, too. I promise.
5: Captain. Incoming message.
2: How's everybody doing? Anybody need a break?
4: I just had one. You just took
2: one. Yeah. Uh, I decided
0: to die. Thanks. Do you need a break? Do you need a break? I I don't No. Wait, hang
2: on. No. (laughs) (laughs) Wait.
0: The chair's a bit damp, Mm -hmm. but you're fine.
2: Yeah, I'm good (laughs) 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 Okay, sorry. Here we go again. Here we go again. Let's let's start off with the first item in the feedback notebook uh, from Dave. He says, hi, all. I came across this interesting YouTube video and thought it useful for a bit of mischief making with Captain Nick and Miami Rick. Love to hear their reviews. And it's a YouTube video. And, you know, honestly, I've already forgotten what the <laughs> video is about. <laughs> Here, let me just... Should I play it?
3: A340. A340s. I play a small part. Like,
2: um, is- oh, you know what? I'm not going to play it now. I remember. Thank you. It's, yeah. uh, it's like one of those jet pilot video things. What, mm-hmm. What's the name of the company? Um, he
3: starts off, he's like... You know, well, I'm only wearing the headset because we're recording, but it's so quiet here in uh, my A340 <laughs> that I wouldn't even need a headset. For...
2: <laughs> yeah, it's a flight. What well, airline was long. it? Very
3: true. I I don't, yeah. I? Uh,
2: Belgian Air, I think. Uh, is that the... Uh, uh, or? uh I don't remember, actually. Anyway, it's a European carrier flying the A340, and they're um going from... An origin to a destination, <laughs>
3: <laughs> not just around in circles. No, I don't recall exactly. I
2: just have a very f- a faint memory of this video. But uh, anyway, um, it, uh, it the captain of the uh, of the uh, aircraft uh, talks about the uh, the wonderfulness of the A three forty. Not uh, as well as Nick was
0: in general. Oh, mm-hmm. and not
2: as not as well. I I should add as as Nick would if he were. Starring in this
3: particular video <laughs> no, series. That's what you should do. You should there you, you know, go. Produce some
0: propaganda,
3: Pro- <laughs> propaganda video. Propaganda video couples. <laughs>
0: oh dear. Yeah. No, I don't think so.
2: Oh, you know what? Point of order. Point of order. Liz is making a good point. She says, "You know, you never told anybody where where Rick is." Mm. Well, there's a good reason for that. I have no know. idea.
0: assignment.
2: <laughs> <laughs> He's out there in the world somewhere, flying. Big airplanes, but he wasn't probably. able to make it probably as far as we know, we think, yeah, we think, um, but, uh, we were, we were hoping he'd be able to make it on today's show, but, um, apparently he didn't. So, um, hopefully we'll have him, uh, on the show again at some time in the future. Yeah. Well, that's about as <laughs> specific as, you specific can as, right as I can get right now, because that's really all I know. All right. Uh so anyway if you're a uh, if you like Airbuses and a 340s specifically please check out this video sent in from Dave Lakeland. Thank you Dave. And the uh, next item we have here is from pa- Pasadena Brian. And it says, if I said it once I've said it 145 times. I'm a bit behind listening to your show. Come on. Brian, get with the picture. Get with the program here.
3: Yeah, don't you have some extra time now to
2: Yeah, you'd think. Uh, I think he's a busy man doing 3D printing and making masks.
3: Masks, yep.
2: Just finished listening to episode 440, recorded on August 31st. Today is September 16th. Actually, it's not. Today is actually the 9th of October. But anyway, when he was writing this, it was the 16th of September. Yes, I've caught up a bit on the backlog of APG shows, but I still have a few more hours. Okay, I really mean days to invest in listening to get fully caught up. Anyway. I said, I just finished listening to episode 440 because you uh, mentioned receiving the removed before flight mask I sent you. That made me laugh out loud because I mailed it to you the same week I sent the mask to Dr. Steph. Sure, in APG time, it seemed like I sent you the mask because you begged for one on the show. <laughs> and then a smiley face. But that's not true at all. I sent one to you as a thank you gesture for mentioning the site. Tabfabric. he got he's making us do it again this yeah. brian guy is very very Free clever man mm-hmm. tabfabric mm-hmm. tabfabric.com on your show it took me some time did i mention the name of the company tabfabric.com uh it took me some time to get the mask to you because aviation theme fabric is so darn difficult to find these days i really ran out of fabric shortly after you mentioned the site on your show As a result of your promotion of the site, I am really grateful to you and your listeners who have purchased masks from the site. The women's shelter here in Pasadena is also grateful because the proceeds from these sales are going to support their cause. Again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you very much. And thank you for all the time and effort you put into the show. I just wish you didn't put so much time into it because if you didn't, I'd be caught up. Uh, I get it. So <laughs> We're going to have to work over time. No. Yeah. And honestly, I only, you know, it's only what I do is just a small part of uh, a lot of the effort that goes into the show. Liz does a heck of a lot. So, it's just behind true. the scenes. Very true. And, of course, uh, we can't forget uh, the old captain, uh, the old curmudgeon, and spends a lot of time <laughs> on those plain tales for tails. sure.
0: No, I don't really. I don't put that much time into okay, the show. Okay, well
2: no actually <laughs> About three hours a week none of us do anything
0: <laughs> but whatever
2: we still have fun it anyway. happens yeah it just happens um anyways it says fly safely passing dina brian p.s yes if you read this on the show the discount code of love apg L-O-V-E-A-P-G, it's all in all caps i don't know if that matters or not all caps
3: and all one word all, yo, all one word
2: you're in love l-o-v-e-a-p-g all in caps Uh, Is still valid on all purchases from the TAB, all caps, fabric site. And if you don't read it, the code will still be valid. Well, okay. Very nice. Thank you, Brian. We read it and uh, we encourage everybody to go to that site, help support the Women's Shelter of Pasadena. And uh, he said, PPS, I hope you enjoy the mask. Thanks again. I really do. Thank you, Brian, for sending it. Really do appreciate it. All right. Continuing on with the third item in feedback. Okay. And, oh, this, so. Uh, I was kind of scanning the social medias uh, last week, and um, a couple of the uh, prominent APG community members were were talking about their recent adventure involving flying and something else. And they're going to tell you we're going to tell you. Actually, um, got them all together. Um, this uh, person, well, I'm going to say who it is in the uh, in the video I'm about to play, and uh, it's about um, oh, about 26 minutes long. On the long side, but I think it's worth it. Well, hey everybody, uh, I was watching the social meds, the social media um, today, and I happened to notice some of our very prominent um, community members. Uh, let's see. Uh, shall I? I'll just use your real name, Robert
5: <laughs> Fairbairn. It's <laughs> always an adventure. <laughs> yes,
2: and Hillel, uh, you know Hillel. He's always in the in the shower, but I caught him. He wasn't in the shower. He's actually out of the shower, wearing clothes, and he's not complaining about it being wet or anything. And uh, so, uh, I I contacted the two of them and said, "Would you mind uh, just telling uh, our community about this wonderful adventure that involves one?" airplanes to dogs puppy dogs (laughs) and i think that that would be a, a very compelling story to tell so yeah now i'm going to direct it to you guys and you can tell the community about what the heck you guys did today
5: Well, I'm going to start following with what you said on just, I feel exceptionally honored to have spent not one, not two, but six or seven hours in the company of Mr. Hillel here with nary a bathtub, bathroom, or even bathrobe in sight. Um, And that is a rare thing these days, but it was truly (laughs) wonderful and I appreciate the opportunity. But uh, since Hillel kicked this whole thing off, I'll let him tell you what we were really doing today. (laughs)
7: thanks Rob although Mother Nature did try to douse us several times Um, and when you say kick this thing off you're not talking about the towel no no
5: probably not he does look like he's already showered and I think that's probably a good place to stick with it (laughs) family show yeah family show
7: Um, so I have been volunteering with an organization called Pilots and Paws for close to a year Rob's actually been doing it for a lot longer so he's a he's an old hand at it and I'll just quickly catch anyone up to speed who hasn't heard of these folks. Um, So Pilots in Paws is really not, it is a sponsored organization. There's a, uh, the, I think, um, I'll have to get the name of the pet company, the pet supply company that sponsors it. Um, But we are volunteer pilots who are on a old school internet bulletin board. And um, any organization or individual that needs to move typically a, a pet type of animal dogs, mostly lots of cats. Occasionally I've heard people be uh, are asking to be sending uh, some, something more exotic, like a, a iguana or whatever. But, I know,
5: um, I, but I, at my airport did have a sea turtle a few weeks ago. So it's fairly yeah. broad if it needs to be. Yeah. Those are big things, aren't they? Sea <laughs> yeah. They might've used a twin for that.
7: <laughs> oh man! <laughs> so it's a a, a self organizing network of volunteer pilots around the country to help move animals from typically um, shelters where they don't have a long. Uh, opportunity to spend their time waiting to be adopted, or uh, to other places that either have the room or don't ha- have policies against euthanizing uh, animals. Um, some states have, or and municipalities have, very low tolerance for animals. And even a, a an animal that looks like it's uh, domesticated you know, has got a collar or whatever. If the if they can't find the owner. Uh, and this animals, unfortunately, in one of these locations, it, it within, you know, a week, it could be euthanized if the owner doesn't come uh, claim it. Uh, of course, if they're a stray altogether, that's, you know, that's even less chances of them living along and cared for life. So um, anyone looking to move the animals from one part of the country to another it's typically because uh the shelters where the animals currently are in are either at capacity or are just they're timing out they're spending a lot too much time in uh in that shelter and they got to move them out or they're going to be euthanized so they uh, are look they post these animals that need to be moved from one place to another they post them on the bulletin board pilots like rob and myself go to the bulletin board and uh, look for um flights that we think we can help with in many cases it's a simply a leg of several flights so today uh the animals were moved from north carolina to pennsylvania and it only required two legs Uh, someone brought them to us we met them in virginia we'll get to that in a minute and we took it on um other animals are uh in multi-legs this a couple weeks ago i flew a german shepherd and i was the fourth of a minimum of five legs. And I believe that uh, that particular dog had yet more traveling to do even after he got to wherever he was going that day. So in any case, we find a trip that uh, we think we can help with and we just post, yeah, I can handle from here to here or whatever the case might be. And then once there's somebody initiates this trip request, so it's usually someone at the, on the, on the sending end or is already part of an organization that's trying to send them. We're agnostic to the organization. So it could be a profit, a nonprofit or an individual. Uh, the pilots are agnostic. So we think of us as you can ship your packages with any shipping provider that you're willing to, to go with and the shipping provider, you know, UPS, FedEx, whomever, they don't, Fund you' not know, really care who the sender and the receiver are, you know not without legalities getting involved, but um so that's kind of like what pilots and pauses is we're just the transportation. Uh, if we want to claim any kind of benefits to our taxes by spending money that we're not getting recovered, that's really on us to figure out how to do. If one of the ends the receiver or the sender is a a, a charity, we can actually we can claim them as the charity if we that's on us though it's not something that we're given through pilots and paws. Um, I'm sure there are plenty of corporate, volunteers as well doing part of their community outreach just as well as there are lots of um of pilots like rob and myself flying our own private or shared aircraft uh as well as um i've landed or picked up an animal that was dropped off by something more you know a little bit more powerful and had a lot bigger range uh a twin cessna for example came and brought us a couple of dogs once a while ago um but uh so that's so i found this Um, this trip that I could do, um, in a fortunate position that I had the time and, um, some extra cash that I can burn on flying.
2: So I I was going to say that you're doing this all on your own expense, right?
7: Yeah, precisely. Um, there's nothing I can recover except through, uh, tax breaks. If I try, if I, if I, you have to be careful about that too. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, and you know Rob and I know each other for now a few years and um we've been he's helped me out in other ways in the plane he's uh there's instrument ratings that when you have an instrument rating, the requirements that you have to keep up those, uh, f- flying of the instrument f- procedures. Rob's helped me at least once on that. Um, and so when pilots and pals came around, it's all, you know, who, if you're a pilot and you're not flying and it's a nice day to fly, that's, that's the last place you want to be is on the ground. Mm-hmm. So, so I frequently text Robert, say, Hey, Robert, I'm doing this, this flight and it hasn't worked out. M- until today actually it worked out um we've tried several times and nobody you know it's not always going to work out but today it worked out great and um so he got in his car and you can tell that part about coming up to meet me and and then um we we went off but i'll i'll refrain from providing the rest of the story until robert gives his side of the equation all right
5: yeah i mean hello pretty well covered it you know pilots and pauses are very sort of It's almost a stretch to call it an organization. It's an there's an organization that basically maintains a website, and that's essentially what they do. But it's a it's sort of a free for all, really. That you know people post up their requests and their needs, and as he said, most of the time it's animals that are moving from you know uh, high kill rate shelters or or short turnaround time shelters to uh, shelters with with longer times for their animals or. Um, a lot of what I used to do was specifically from jurisdictions that don't allow bully breeds to be adopted out at all. So any, any quote, bully breed that comes into a shelter is necessarily going to be euthanized unless they can find another thing to do, which is usually to transfer them to a shelter in a jurisdiction that does allow them to be shelter, uh, adopted out. rather. So I spent, um, when I did a lot of this, most of it was three or four years ago. And I spent, in a summer, I think I did I had more than 10 trips with the same, um, pilot flying the first half of the legs, bringing animals up from, I think it was Georgia meeting me in Maryland or Virginia. And then I was taking them on up to Vermont or New Hampshire. And there was an organization up there taking them in. So I took 20 or 30 animals just in the course of one summer. I know he did some trips that I wasn't able to join in. Um, and so there's a lot of that kind of thing going on as well. Um, but basically it's a very informal thing. Pilots or or organizations mostly put up requests, and pilots jump in and say, "I can do this one," and then it basically falls down to people. To it, most of the time, take it off the the forum and have a private conversation and figure out the logistics, and off you go. Um, and so, as Hillel said, you know, we've spoken a few times, and I've I've gone out and played safety pilot for him, um, and we we enjoy flying together, enjoy each other's company to begin with, and you know, I'm since this is something we're both fairly interested and in, passionate about doing, and taking care of some of these animals. It was a great opportunity that had not come together previously. So I get up nice and early this morning and drove up to Baltimore and we set up at, uh, his, uh, the airport he's based in. And we took a nice little flight down to Tappahannock, Virginia, had a nice uh, bite to eat since the, uh, the pilot we were meeting was running behind. He apparently had a mechanical this morning and was a bit late, but that meant we got a lunch break, which was nice, um, loaded up two really beautiful, very sweet little puppies. And, uh, Brought them on up to Pennsylvania, where we uh, dropped them off with their very excited new uh, new rescue organization, who apparently had never done this before. So they were they were very very excited. We had some um, some onlookers. Our, our drop off location was, in fact, the American American Helicopter Museum, Museum. I it is, mm-hmm. um, uh, which it employs among many other people, I imagine, one David M. Vanderhoof, who's well known to some of the people in this group. I'm sure. So we Wait, had a- who? A- what shake hands with him and uh and in fact oh, he, so cool. he parked us as we came in in the aircraft you know oh uh, yeah that's nice. right he works at the um, museum i mean we had a couple of families hanging around there and and you know kind of watching so a little bit of an audience um and the puppies jumped out of the plane very excited nice to see new places i'm sure they were probably happy to be out of the airplane by that point as well but uh but they were great passengers are very very sweet and they're now off to new homes um, potentially including someone we know, but uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah. hmm. um, anyway. So we we had an opportunity to catch up with David a little bit, hung around the uh, the museum there, took a little look around for maybe half an hour, and then flew him back to Baltimore and called it a day.
2: Did he know
7: that you guys were coming
2: through? Yeah. Okay.
7: Yeah. Well, as soon as um they uh, so if we look at one of the trips, um you can see that the um where there's a destination airport and, or that, you know, you have to, obviously you have to land at an airport. So um, when I saw that this, this destination was, so let me back up a second. The people who are asking for us to bring the animals and the people who are receiving the animals typically knows next to nothing about aviation. And so they will frequently say the dead, the origin is, and they'll, put a pin on the shelter and the destination is and they'll put a pin on the destination shelter <laughs> and then it's up to us to find what's the nearest logical most you know reasonable airport to go pick them up and drop them off mm-hmm. um and then so uh, it's been uh, on more than one occasion they they've asked us to use an airport and um, you know, I looked at the airport, and some one they don't know anything, so they wanted me to land on a two thousand foot grass strip somewhere because they knew it was there. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah. So the weather that day is not going to work for me, <laughs> and so I I suggested the the five thousand five hundred foot airport with the instrument approaches that was just two miles away. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what's um, the difference? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so so this particular no, wasn't there any different. They they selected the location of the either the town that the shelter was in or the shelter itself. And I saw the nearest airport was Brandywine Airport, Kilo Oscar, Quebec, November in Pennsylvania, which I also knew was the home of the American Helicopter Museum. Uh, okay. So I immediately texted uh, once it was finalized that this was going to happen uh, barring any unforeseen, you know, weather or mechanical issues, I texted David Vanderhoof. I said, Hey, are you working Friday? He's like, Yeah, why? I said, Well we're gonna drop off a couple of puppies for uh, pallets and well, paws." I not order any puppies. <laughs> um <laughs> and- and yeah <laughs> Robert, Robert captured it really well. There's a lot of excited people <laughs> for you know this was the first time the helicopter museum played host to the exchange. This was the uh-huh. first time the receiving shelter had actually come to an airport to receive animals oh, wow. um so it was kind of exciting for us to be the first for all these uh other participants in the in in this transaction and um
5: there were even a couple of families with small children that had paid admission to the museum and got to watch an airplane take off as a bonus
7: and yeah. land and uh, like very exciting yeah, to them. Yeah, and and know. and the, the the volunteer was taking the dog. You know, they wanted to see the dogs too, so he walked the dogs over to the kids and let you know the kids pet the dogs and whatever. So it was uh yeah. So we got a chance to you know hang out in David's place of work. Um, they got some pretty cool uh, helicopters there. So if you're into helicopters, it's a very Small location and it is very tightly packed with helicopters. Um, so I recommend the if you can make it in. And we should mention, because not everybody listening to
2: the airline pilot guy show necessarily mm-hmm. uh listens to the airplane geeks podcast. They should or the UAV digest. Or the UAV digest. And uh David Vanderhoof is co-host on both of those very, very fine podcasts.
5: So check it out.
7: Yeah. Um yeah, so it was a it was a really nice time, um, very rewarding. It's what did you say, Robert? Rewarding. I'm sorry.
5: And he was a great host in person as well.
7: Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so we can't miss that. Um, and we were invited back anytime we want to drop off any dogs at the uh, at the museum. We're welcome to. And um, so that was that. It was it was very fulfilling. Um, I, I was earlier. I mentioned how Mother Nature tried to drench us. We were um, the weather was rather un um, less than what it was predicted to be. It was supposed to be a uh, much nicer weather. And this last few days, the forecasts have been wrong most of the days and not today was no exception. By the time we took off, it was supposed to be high clouds and sunny. That didn't happen. Actually the high clouds never happened. there were also high clouds, <laughs> but the, the low clouds were there too. And, um, and there was one. We, we our flight from Baltimore down to Tappahannock um, was mostly down the Chesapeake Bay, and uh, and then at one right before the Patuxent Naval Air Station, you turn east west and and head over to the tap the Rappahannock River. Um, but the 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 weather was clearing up on the on the west of the Chesapeake Bay where we live and on the east of the Chesapeake Bay. And so the clouds had nowhere to go except straight down the middle of the Chesapeake Bay, which is exactly where we were. So um, we spent, it was kind of funny because there's, visual conditions clear in a million to the left and to the right, but we were in the middle and, um, a few times it was, uh, you know, just, okay. We just literally flying by nothing except instruments until we turned West and broke out of the clouds and were able to land visually. Um, but while we were in the clouds, we were you know, getting tossed around pretty good, but, um, that's why you get an instrument rating. There you go. Came in handy.
5: It did. So tell me
7: about your passengers.
5: Well, let's see. I, I'm afraid I didn't actually catch their names. I'm sure Hillel can fill them in, but we had uh, we had two really, really wonderful little dogs. I guess one was, I keep saying puppies. One of them, I think, was still a puppy four months or something like that and was uh, a little bit airplane afraid. She had to be lifted in and out of the airplane on both occasions, but, uh, but was incredibly sweet and very, very affectionate. The other was a bit bigger, I think, about a two-year-old Pitbull mix or something of the sort
7: the hound also, dog of was, some kind i think
5: yeah really really friendly really out, i mean they were they were both really really sweet dogs and um you know we we met the the incoming pilot gave him a little walk around the Tappahannock airport and uh loaded them up in the plane we took off and they were attentive and curious for about five minutes and as is usually the case in my experience anyway after about five minutes once you're in the air they fall asleep <laughs> <And> that's, <laughs> that's it, it's actually one of the things that's really fun about this until you do it you don't really know but it, you know you always have this concern that the dogs are going to be very apprehensive or concerned and in my experience at least every single one I've ever flown they they get up and they look around a little bit and they're curious for five or maybe 10 minutes but then they fall asleep and they just sleep most of the trip and sometimes so, they get up for a minute again here and there but that's about it
2: do they sit in the seats or do they stay in a kennel or how does so that
5: Hillel took the, um In this case, took the seats out, the rear seats out of his aircraft. And so they had the whole, you know, rear section of the airplane. Um, but I mean, certainly it, it sort of depends on the dog and the situation. Um, generally try and make sure they're restrained somehow, because obviously you don't want a dog jumping into your lap, you know, while you're flying. But um, I think that's part of that was part of why I was there. It was my job to keep the dogs out of Hillel's lap while he was ah, flying and the handler. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've certainly done it with. I've done it with uh, carriers and without, but generally mm-hmm. tied down in some way.
2: Well, tell yeah. the audience, uh, Hillel, about uh, your airplane. Not everybody knows what kind of airplane you have.
7: Oh, it's it's a single engine, four cylinder piston aircraft. Um, it's a Piper Cherokee. Uh, the it's known as a PA for Piper twenty eight. Um, so Cherokees, Warriors, Archers, all the same family. Um, and it's from night. it's a 1972 model and that, um, you know, it's kind of like your family jalopy kind of thing. It's, 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 it's pretty it's nicer it's, than that. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a little nicer <laughs> than that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Wouldn't call it's, that it's, a jalopy.
7: Yeah, no, I, it, it's, I'm not dissing the plane. It's just, it's not, it's not a race car, you know, it's not a station wagon. It's, it's a nice little sedan kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, although it only has one door. And, um, so it's, it, it goes about 120 miles an hour, you know, without wind, um, a little bit faster, maybe, uh, 125 without wind. And, um, you had a, actually had a tailwind mostly in both directions, uh, mar- partially because on the way down, uh, the weather was clearing out in one direction. And on the way up, we got up above the clouds and went. Across, so the the cloud layer for those that aren't familiar, so often acts as a barrier between wind going in one direction and wind going in another direction. So, uh, below the clouds, it, we would have had a headwind, and above the clouds, we ended up with a slight tailwind. And and sure enough, as soon as air traffic control brought us down beneath the clouds to start our arrival into our destination airport, we went right back into a headwind. So, it was uh, wasn't a terrible one though. It didn't slow us down. Uh, I think we spent. 2.7 hours total with the engine on. So um, I think that sounds about right. So, um, but obviously time on both ends to do other stuff.
2: Wow, that is so cool. So we're going to have some pictures of the uh, the whole adventure. Uh, we'll have those in the show notes. Uh, you guys are going to send those to me so we can include them. And then uh, the video that we're recording right now, um, perhaps we'll be seeing some some shots here and there of uh, various parts of your flights and your passengers and all that kind of stuff. So uh, look forward to uh, seeing that.
7: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, uh, and any pilots that are in the U.S. that are interested, it's there's nothing. There's an application process, but it's not. They just want to know if you're a qualified pilot, essentially, and um, the rest is up to you.
5: A lot of the people that I know that got involved, that was how you know a lot of people get their ticket and they want to go do flying. And you know everybody's familiar generally with the the concept of the hundred dollar hamburger, which is well, I want to fly somewhere, so I'm going to go have lunch. You know, mm-hmm. um, and people very often then start looking at things like Angel Flight and mm-hmm. other organizations like that, and rapidly discover that you know with their you know, 60 to 100 hour ticket, no instrument rating, they're not actually qualified to join many of those organizations. Um, most of them require at least an instrument rating and usually a number of hours that's above a lot of the people who, at least initially, are looking to join. Um, and that's one of the things that I think is appealing about the uh, pilots and pauses that they don't really have those minimums. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's sort of understandable. Obviously, when you're flying people for medical procedures, the hospital doesn't want to hear, well, it's raining today. Mm -hmm. Um, and so they, they do tend to require instrument ratings, but, uh, but for the animal rescue, people tend to be, you know, able to be a bit more flexible. And so there are a lot more, um, a lot more opportunities for pilots to go build time and do something maybe a little more productive than having one more hamburger this week.
7: And we got a hamburger out of it as well today. Uh, We did
5: have a hamburger as well. Very nice. We got all of it. (laughs) Um, a bit more flying than you normally get for a hamburger, so it, yeah. it's it's it is a cool organization. It's I, I would encourage anybody that wants a reason to go out and fly, and you know, really, who doesn't, um, to look into it. It's a good one. Well,
2: That's outstanding. Well, good on you guys for volunteering your time and your treasure to uh, and your talent to uh, provide that service for the uh, for these organizations. Very very cool. It's and always again, a uh, pilot. Uh, tell us again the organization and how they can contact them contact them
7: so um, www.pilots the letter n pause p-a-w-s dot org um, also pilots and pause on twitter and um, instagram and um, and facebook as well but if you go to pilots and pause org there's the app the process is, is all spelled out for you
5: very
2: good
7: and if they wanted to contact either of
2: you or both directly Absolutely. how would they do that
5: Uh, I can be reached uh, easiest is usually Twitter is just RG Fairbairn, which nobody will spell right, but it's uh, F-A-I-R-B-A-I-R-N. He'll probably get it right. (laughs) At this point, he might get my first name wrong, but my Twitter handle he'll probably get. Um, Or Instagram is just Robert Fairbairn, all one word, my name. Um, Either of those will work, and I'd be happy to talk to anybody that wants to.
7: If, and in, if you're listening to this show for the first time, then you wouldn't know that my Twitter handle is H I one one E one. It looks like Hillel, but those are ones instead of L's. Um, so, and that's the best way as well to get a hold of me there or on Instagram by the same handle H I one one E one. That is if he's not busy in, in the shower, in the, in the shower. Yeah. Yeah.
5: <laughs> okay. I think, you know, pilots and paws does give some swag out. If you get in touch with them, I have some like, you know, backpacks and stickers and a couple of t-shirts. I think they need to kick off their, their bathrobe line though. (laughs) (laughs) They're missing a sponsorship (laughs) opportunity here. Yeah.
7: Yeah. And, and you know what, speaking of that, um, It is co-sponsored or whatever by uh, PetMate, which is a manufacturer of pet products. And um, just for those that are even thinking about it, like you might think, well, I don't have a harness. I don't have a a cage or a crate. They will give you for free all of that stuff that you would need. Um, I've got a warehouse full of – I've got two large crates and I've got – you know, baby wipes that are meant for animals that are, you know, and, and things to pick up if they, yeah. you need to take them to the bathroom or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, they just, they're just, and you call them up and, or text them or whatever email and say, Hey, my, I had to give away my such and such when I dropped this dog off. Can I get another one? UPS shows up three, four days later and there's your replacement. So they're really, really quite an operation. Fantastic.
2: Well, thanks for taking the time on a Friday night, um, you
7: know, prime time, Friday evening to uh, talk to the community. There's and nothing else happening in the world right now. I mean, nothing of any, yeah, nothing, who cares no. about this, this, you know, come on, <laughs> everything is just fine. It's just fine. It's, Everything is fine.
2: Nothing, nothing to see anywhere. Uh. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks, guys. And uh, back, probably to, probably. back to you all in the studio. Why am I
3: not He just said, guys? back to you in the studio.
2: Oh, okay, good. I was trying to read my own lips because I re- do remember saying that. <laughs>
3: <Okay>. <laughs> well
2: so
4: so Wonderful I, segment. That's really yeah, cool. I don't was remember it? anything that I said. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: it's marvelous of uh, Robert and Hillel to uh, give their time like that. It's
3: fantastic. I did laugh a little bit when they were talking about the dogs just falling asleep in the aircraft because that's been my experience as well anytime I've had a... A dog or a pet in the airplane i was really worried the first time that they were going to you know jump around and be all over the place and no i had a dog big 80 pound 85 pound mixed breed dog that i did take in the airplane a couple of times he would sit there look out the window for a few minutes curl up on the back seat fall asleep wake up right on short final <laughs> put his nose Nothing in the here. Like, hey, what's going on <laughs> where are we are we there yet are we there yet yeah, yeah So that did make me laugh. Yeah, bit. I thought
2: that would be an interesting thing to uh, share with the community. Uh, what no, and good what information. They doing. I mean, I'm Probably. sure there's
3: people out there who are looking for a purpose for flying sometimes, and that's a, yeah. that's a very worthy one.
2: It certainly is. And uh, thanks again, Rob and Hillel, for joining me, uh, doing that little recording.
4: Much appreciated. Okay, let's continue on with four, Stephen. Hey,
2: APG crew, I'm a long-time listener, but first-time feedbacker. I enjoyed the discussion on long flights in GA aircraft in episode 444 and wanted to share my own experience there. Much like Dr. Steph, my longest GA flight to date was in an older Cessna 172, mine in a 1976 Mike model with an STC for a 180-horsepower engine. I flew it from Tri-Cities Airport in Tennessee, KTRI, to Lancaster, P.A., K.L.N.S. I was taking my wife and two friends to a wedding in P.A., and our trip actually started in Greenville, South Carolina, a kilo golf mic uniform, where my wife and I lived up until last fall. The STC was particularly useful on this trip since the max gross weight was bumped up to 2,550 pounds, allowing us to fit four adults and a duffel bag apiece in the back. We flew from KGMU to KTRI and stayed the night with a friend, the fourth passenger, and finished the trip to Kilo Lima, November, Sierra the next morning. We enjoyed ourselves at the wedding and flew the trip in reverse the next day. Oh, that's kind of cool. You probably get to see all the scenery.
0: Yeah, I didn't know where where's reverse gear on one of those. <laughs> oh no.
3: You know, it's it's like your standard transmission one, yeah. two, three, four, five reverse?
0: Reverse. You mean One, you've got three, a four, a manual uh, shift in those? Oh, yeah. Things? Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah.
3: Definitely in, in the Cessna cool. 172.
2: And I guess M it model. becomes a pusher prop uh, instead of a tractor. Yeah,
3: exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's a little tricky because you have to like crane your neck around you know, <laughs> yeah, to look out out the back see where yeah. you're going, get a little sore. <laughs> and
2: you to tell the, the passengers in the back, okay, move your heads. I can't see. <laughs> All right. Uh, the longest leg of the trip was from Tri Cities to Lancaster for a total distance of 375 nautical miles by the routing i selected and we flew it in 3.7 hours from parking spot to parking spot it was an ifr trip so i followed various airways for the fun of it see attached photo of my route and that's what we're looking at on the video we managed to land and it'll be in the show notes we managed to land with nine gallons total usable fuel exactly one hour of reserve as i had planned perfect yeah
0: all I, I always said that regardless of what I, it's exactly what I planned. exactly about. what I planned.
3: <laughs> I exactly what I planned. exactly one hour of two. Always perfect.
2: All around, it was a great trip, and it really shows how useful and fun general aviation can be. Love the show. Thanks for all the good times the crew shares with all of us aviation geeks. It's a, really our pleasure. Clear skies, favorable winds, and many IPAs all around, Stephen.
0: Oh, so it's like a great flight,
4: isn't it? Yeah.
3: Yeah, very lovely.
4: Very lovely. All right. Moving on. Um, this is from Texas and Lashock.
2: Greetings, Captain Jeff and APG crew. So I'm minding my own business a few days ago when somehow I wind up on Popular Mechanics website on a page about a brand new fighter that the Air Force has come out with in absolute secrecy. I guess not anymore. Now, Pilot uh, Popular Mechanics has published articles with some pretty outlandish stuff before, but most of those were proposals or concepts people had, and this is saying it's already happened. Then I find an article on defensenews.com about the same thing, so that's two sources. A new fighter that has already been designed and flown. And then he gives us a link to that defensenews.com article. Uh, Have you heard anything like this? Uh, Do you think this is legit? A journalistic error or some kind of misinf- misinformation campaign from the Air Force for some reason? It just seemed to come out of nowhere. Looking forward to hearing what you think. This is the Texas, Texas shock signing off. And then he ends with a random aviation quote. Goggles down, wing flaps down, tail feathers. And if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. And that's from Albatross Airlines Pre-Flight Checklist in The Rescuer.
0: That's a cartoon about mice, isn't it? I don't know. Sounds <laughs> yeah.
3: vaguely correct. Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay, Texas and Shark. We know what you are.
2: <laughs> so the uh, article here talks about the U.S. Air Force has built and flown a mysterious full-scale prototype of its future fighter jet. And uh, the Boeing, let's see, Air Force Chief of Staff... General David Goldfine sits inside the cockpit of Boeing's T-7 training jet during a January 15, 2019 visit to the company's production facility in St. Louis. Mo. No. the Boeing T-7 is the first Air Force jet to be produced using digital manufacturing techniques. Yeah, it's all 3D printed. No, I'm just kidding. It's not true. <laughs> Probably parts of it are, I would imagine. The U.S. Air Force has secretly designed, built-and-flown um, its enigmatic, enigmatic next-generation fighter jet the service's top acquisition official confirmed to Defense News on September 14th. The development is certain to shock the defense community which last saw the first flight of an experimental fighter during the battle for the Joint Strike Fighter contract 20 years ago. With the Air Force's future fighter program still in its infancy, the rollout and successful first flight of a demonstrator was not expected for years. Uh, "Quote: We've already built and flown a full-scale flight demonstrator in the real world and we broke records in doing it. Will Roper told Defense News in an exclusive interview ahead of the Air Force Association's Airspace and Cyber Conference. We are ready to go and build the next generation aircraft in a way that has never happened before. Almost every detail about the aircraft itself will remain a mystery due to the classification of the next generation air dominance program. The, uh, Air Force I mean, they is, could tell you. Yeah.
3: <laughs> well, then then they'd have,
2: have to kill, kill you. you. Yeah. But yeah, I just, I like that air dominance program. The, uh air forces effort for fielding a family of connected air warfare systems that could include fighters drones and other networked platforms in space or the cyber realm specifically facebook roper declined to comment on i just added that facebook part there roper declined to comment on how many prototype aircraft have been flown or which defense contractors manufactured them he wouldn't say when or where the first flight occurred and he refused to divulge any aspect of the aircraft's design, its mission, whether it was uncrewed or optionally crewed, that, that would be C-R-E-W-E-D, not C-R-U-D-E, whether it would fly <laughs> at hypersonic speeds or if it has stealth characteristics. Uh, he says those attributes are beside the point.
0: So basically, wasn't saying anything. No. He said
3: nothing.
2: Pretty much. Yeah. He used a lot of words. Probably Can you tell of,
3: us how many have been flown? No. Yeah. The no. contractors you manufactured? No. No. Where? No. When? No. Nope. No. Any aspect of its design? No. No. Type of mission? No.
2: But we have done it. Trust me.
3: But we've done it. Yeah. We're the government. You're going to have to take our word on that.
2: Yes. So, anyway, there's more to this article, of course.
0: We're not oh, really? I don't think there's been much to it as yet. But.
2: Well, I mean, there are more words.
0: Oh, yeah. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> as they, Nick astutely pointed anything?
2: out, no, they don't really say anything else. No. <laughs> <laughs> they talk about a lot of other programs in the past and how this one is nothing like them. But uh yeah, that's it. I have not heard a thing about this. Have you, Nick?
0: Uh nope. Yeah. Well, I, uh, other than that there's something is going there's probably a next generation airplane oh, yeah, you going on figure. because uh, you know, I either that you stop developing airplanes because it's about the right time for the next cycle. Uh and if it's something, you know, that's going to be a, a, a bit of a jump up in capability, they're not going to say much about it till they know it works. So.
2: Yeah. True, true, true. Well, interesting stuff. We'll have this uh, article in the show notes if you care to. If you do figure out what they're trying to say there, let us know. Send us some feedback.
3: <laughs> if <laughs> you can divulge any information, yeah. <laughs> we'd be interested.
2: Yes, we would. And- and we will not tell anybody that you told us about it. And we won't talk about it. I mean, we'll just keep it
3: right show. here amongst ourselves. Yes. Yeah. Or on if we do shows. talk
2: about it on air, then we'll just say it's from someone who is anonymous.
3: Anonymous. Sources.
2: Who lives in Fort Worth, Texas. I'm just kidding. All right. You know what time it is? It's the best part of the show time. That's no, 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 no. It's not the end of the show. Uh, it's about two thirds of the way through, and we're going to.
4: <laughs>
2: control yourself, sir. Uh, it is this week's installment of the plane tale entitled, You Couldn't Give Him Away. Are you talking about me?
0: The old pilot's plain tales. You couldn't give him away. I've done plenty of tales about the triumphant aircraft of World War II. That fought in the skies over Europe, Africa, Russia and the Far East. Aircraft like the Supermarine Spitfire, Hawker Hurricane, Messerschmitt BF-109, Focke-Wulf 190, P-51 Mustang, Aleutian IL-2, Stamovic, Bought FOU Corsair, Lockheed P-38 Lightning, Mitsubishi Zero, Grumman Wildcat, and I'm sure that you have your favourites as well. Quite naturally, I guess, not so much is known about the horrible failures, aircraft that despite having well-recognised flaws, were flown by the bravest of pilots, those who knew that they had little chance of surviving combat in their awful machines. There were a surprisingly high number of them, as it seems there were unscrupulous manufacturers out there who put making a buck above the lives of the airmen who would have to fly their creations. Not all of the aircraft we will look at are in that category by any means. Many were just misguided ideas, old designs, or put into the wrong role, but some are. Let's start with a couple suggested by our fine friend, main man, Micah, the Voltee P66 Vanguard and the Bell P39 Aero Cobra. The Vanguard was a single-seat low-winged monoplane powered by a Pratt & Whitney 14-cylinder twin-row radial engine that looked quite reasonable on paper. It first flew in 1939, the same year that marked the beginning of the war, and it had a top speed of 340 miles an hour, the same as the hurricane. It came in several versions, some were trainers and others fighters, but the first prototype had a mishap when it collided with the Lockheed Cirrus while landing, severing an undercarriage leg, which was something of a portent for things to come. It had teething problems, such as a lack of cooling for the engine, which was cured by a cowling redesign. However, the Swedish government ordered 144 of them. All well and good until when in 1941, as production deliveries were about to start, the US government decided it was going to embargo exports to Sweden. Fifty were retained by the U.S. Army Air Force to be used at pursuit training bases, and although the pilots thought them manoeuvrable, they proved to be rather fragile, with a strong tendency to ground loop, which fairly quickly wrecked fifteen of them. The British government showed an interest in obtaining one hundred of the newly designated p 66 but after trials they decided they were better off with their own fighters, so the aircraft were relinquished to China under the Lend-Lease programme. Thus began the troubled aircraft's long journey to the Far East. The aircraft were shipped to Karachi, and then in India, now in Pakistan. The plan was to assemble them there and then fly them to Chengdu in China. The debacle that followed was rather fitting for this unfortunate aircraft. After reassembly, several were crashed during trial flights by Chinese pilots, unfamiliar with the unforgiving nature of this tail-dragger. A mid-air collision watched by dozens at Karachi snuffed out the lives of two Chinese pilots in an instant. More of the planes were lost while being ferried to China, and still more were simply stored in Karachi's colossal dirigible hangar, short on parts, or plagued with structural problems until they just rotted away. Out of the 129 aircraft shipped, only 79 made it to an engagement on the 21st of November 1943, when they shot down an Oscar and two of their own P-66 vanguards, since the two aircraft types looked strikingly similar. Today, there is no known example of a P-66 to be found anywhere in the world. The Bell Aero Cobra was a singularly unusual design, and in service with the United States in considerable numbers – such that when joining the war in 1941, it was the principal American fighter in service. It differed from many other types flying at the time by having a tricycle undercarriage, which eliminated many of the difficulties new pilots had in dealing with the swing that tail-wheeled aircraft have during takeoff. The first was the swing that occurred when applying power due to the torque of the propeller and the spiral slipstream it creates. The second was the precessed gyroscopic effect that occurs when the tails lifted. These control problems were removed, or at least lessened, by the presence of a nose wheel. From outside, the fighter looked conventional enough. It was an all-metal, low-wing, single-engine aircraft with a sleek, low-drag profile and designed to fulfil the Air Corps' tactical school requirements for the tactical mission of interception and attack of hostile aircraft at high altitude. For reasons that will become obvious, the cockpit was positioned quite high, which gave the pilot a good view of the world, but the canopy was fixed in position over the pilot's head and access was achieved via a side door, a bit like a car. It even had wind-down windows. This made abandoning the aircraft trickier than for more conventional fighters of the time. Specifications called for heavy armament, including a cannon, a glycol-cooled Allison engine with a General Electric turbo supercharger. Tricycle landing gear, a level speed of at least 360 miles an hour at altitude, and a climb to 20,000 feet within six minutes. Bell had limited experience at fighter design, and approached the task from an unusual direction, placing the need to accommodate the armament first, and then designing the rest of the aircraft around it. Having settled on the Oldsmobile T9 37mm cannon as the primary weapon, it was placed in the centre of the propeller hub to give it optimum accuracy and stability. The size and location of this formidable weapon, which fired a one and a quarter pound, that's more than half a kilo, of high explosive armour-piercing round in the nose, required a novel approach for the position of the engine. Although devastating when it worked, the T9 cannon had very limited ammunition, a low rate of fire, and was rather prone to jamming. The big Allison V12 engine was fitted almost like an afterthought, and put mid-fuselage behind the cockpit, with a 10-foot long drive shaft running through a tunnel in the cockpit floor, up to the propeller gearbox. In addition, the AeroCobra had 2 caliper .50-caliber Browning machine guns in the nose and two more in the wings. Having the mass of the engine in the centre of the Aero Cobra gave it some unwelcome inertial problems, should the pilot be unwise enough to mishandle the aircraft into a spin, particularly when low on ammunition when the centre of gravity moved aft as it often developed into an unrecoverable flat spin. Soon after entering service, more problems associated with the centre of gravity showed up, as pilots began to report that the aircraft would sometimes tumble end over end. The veteran pilot Bob Hoover experienced this and described it in his autobiography. A report into this floor found that all the testing had been done with full ammunition loads in the front compartments of the nose, but this wasn't really the aircraft's main problem. In order to achieve the required top speed, Bell had fitted a two-stage turbo supercharger, which was cooled by a large intake on the left side of the fuselage. Without the room to move or better cool the supercharger, the drag was just too much, so Larry Bell took the decision to produce the aircraft with only a single-stage supercharger. The supercharger's critical altitude was about 12,000 feet, above which the performance dropped off rapidly. And because of the unusual engine placement, there was no room for fuel to be kept in the fuselage, only in the wings, which gave the aircraft an uncomfortably short range. This made the Aera Cobra unsuitable for operations in Europe, where it compared poorly against the fighters in that theatre. The RAF, unaware of these problems, ordered 675 export versions, known as the Bell Model 14 Caribou. What they didn't know was that the performance figures claimed by Bell were achieved with a highly modified aircraft. The elevator and rudder had been reduced in size, special fillets were installed, the canopy was fared in with putty, an exhaust stack fairing was fitted, machine gun ports were smoothed over, the radio antenna mast was removed and a single piece engine cowling fitted. The aircraft was then painted with 20 coats of primer and sanded down each time to remove blemishes, and bulging doors were modified to stay flush. The weight was reduced by removing armour and the like to make it lighter. In this condition, the P-39 came within 1% of the RES requirements, achieving 391 miles an hour. When the production aircraft began to arrive, which had none of these special modifications, they revealed a top speed of only 355 miles an hour. The cockpit layout was criticised. It was noted that the pilot would have difficulty in bailing out, and the lack of a clear vision panel on the windscreen assembly meant that in heavy rain the pilot's forward view would be completely obliterated the pilot's notes advised that in the event of this, the door windows should have to be lowered and the speed reduced to 150 miles an hour. The RAF's aero Cobras served with only one squadron, number 601. A combination of poor serviceability and deep distrust of this unfamiliar fighter resulted in the RAF rejecting the type after only one combat mission. In March 1942, the unit re-equipped with Spitfires. Some of the aircraft destined to come to Britain were requisitioned by the United States, renamed the P-400, and sent to the 5th and 13th Air Forces in the Pacific. Despite its limitations in altitude and range, the much-maligned aircraft – claimed around 80 kills of Japanese aircraft, and some pilots became aces flying it. Although the AeroCobra's low-altitude performance was good and its firepower impressive, regardless, it soon became a joke in the Pacific theatre that a P-400 was a P-40 with a zero on its tail. The remainder of the aircraft were packed off to the Soviet Union and flown by the Red Air Force. They received the much-improved N and Q models, and since the tactical missions flown didn't require high-level performance, they did better than expected. The Soviet pilots appreciated the aircraft's strengths and developed successful tactics that suited the aircraft that they called the Little Cobra. They had no problems engaging the Ju 87 Stukas or the early versions of the Messerschmitt Bf 109s. When they received their later Aero Cobras with the M4 37mm cannon and four machine guns, they immediately removed the wing mounted guns, leaving two machine guns and the cannon in the nose. This improved the aircraft's roll rate considerably, making it much more agile but the cannon only carried 30 rounds and was slow at three rounds a second. But despite this, the aircraft was primarily used for air-to-air combat. Five of the highest-scoring Soviet aces logged the majority of their kills in P-39s. A total of 4,719 P-39s were sent to the Soviet Union, accounting for more than a third of all the US and UK supplied aircraft, and they served with the Red Air Force until as late as 1949. Other air forces had occasion to use this flawed fighter. The Royal Australian Air Force borrowed 23 from the US Fifth Air Force to use as a stopgap interceptor in the rear areas and for defence of Darwin. As soon as possible, they were replaced with the Vaulty Vengeance dive bombers and the indigenous Commonwealth Aircraft Corporation Boomerang. Hardly a brilliant upgrade, as they were only really useful in the ground attack role. And from early 1943... They acquired a wing of Spitfires to supplement the Curtiss Kittyhawk squadrons that were fighting in New Guinea. France had ordered Aero Cobras, but after they capitulated and cooperated with Germany, they were not delivered. However, Free French forces fighting in North Africa were equipped with Allied weapons, including three squadrons of P-39s. The fighter was never popular with the French pilots and were subsequently replaced with P-47 Thunderbolts. Italy also received some to arm the Royalist Italian Co-Belligerent Air Force. The aircraft didn't serve them particularly well, and in three months there were 11 accidents due to engine failures and the poor condition of their base. Sadly, two pilots were seriously injured and three died, one of whom was Sergenti Maggioli, Teresio Vittorio Martinoli, the famous Italian ace of aces. Under unusual circumstances, some Aero Cobras were operated by the Portuguese army. As part of Operation Torch, the invasion of North Africa, the 81st and 305th Fighter Groups were dispatched to airfields in North Africa. But due to a number of mechanical difficulties, many aircraft were forced to land in Portugal and Spain, who were generally maintaining neutrality. The 19 P-39 Aracobras, plus a single P-38 Lightning that landed in Portugal, were interned and then put into service with the Portuguese army. Although the United States made no request for payment, the Portuguese government, paid $20,000 for each interned aircraft, for which the U.S. gifted four additional crates of aircraft, but without supplying spares, flight manuals, or service manuals. Without proper training and documentation, the operation of these aircraft proved to be a nightmare for the Army-Military Aviation Wing, and the aircraft was plagued with problems. However... Six remained in service until 1950, when they were sold for scrap. The P-38 had a short reprieve from obscurity in the US after the war, when three Bell Aircraft test pilots, Slick Goodlin, Tex Johnson and Jack Woolums, extensively modified two of them and then raced the renamed Cobra 1 and Cobra 2 in the national air races. With the more powerful PE 63 engine and using prototype propeller blades from the Bell factory, the aircraft could reach around 400 miles an hour. But on a test flight over Lake Ontario, Cobra 1 suddenly and inexplicably crashed into the water, breaking apart on impact and killing Jack Wollums. Tex Johnson flew Cobra 2 in the race and unexpectedly beat the favourites, who were flying race-modified P-51 Mustangs. In 1968, owner-pilot Mike Carrolls flew Cobra 2 again in a test flight, before attempting to break the world piston engine airspeed record, but like Willems, he was also killed in an unexpected crash. Unlike the P-66 Vanguard, several aerocobras can still be seen in various locations around the world, including Mariba, Australia, Edmonton, Canada, Finland, Papua New Guinea, Yakutsk in Russia, and a number in the United States, including the wonderfully named Air Zoo in Kalamazoo.
4: Yeehaw!
2: So, let me ask you a question, Nick. Yes, sir. Um, so, when, when you think of that music, you think of Americans? <laughs> <laughs> Is that what, in your head, or a bunch of hillbillies over
0: here?
4: Yeah, yeah. we're all, we're all, <laughs> well. I, I someone think, give me uh, my hat. All the There's a I snake in my boot. I think the hillbillies
0: probably built True those not. airplanes. That was the connection. <laughs>
2: I like that. Don't get me wrong. I like the music, yeah. but I'm just some, wondering. some
3: in the chat room have noticed that um, that Mike oh, part Oh, so of our sad. APD community. I told
2: Mike it was,
0: it was a pity. He's dead. I, I didn't to, know that.
2: I told Mike not not to do it. Yeah. Anyway, well, he that, didn't
0: listen. To me. That Cobra was an odd airplane. I mean, who would think to stick the engine behind the pilot? That is odd. It's yeah. a big old engine, though. And yeah,
2: those are big was. shells.
0: How? What was the caliber on that? Thirty, uh, thirty-seven millimeters. Holy, so no. that's that is a that's pretty much it's a small artillery shell. Yeah, well, they're huge, but only yeah, what yeah, three right. per we'll second, and only something. thirty,
2: and yeah. so that's like ten seconds worth of shooting the cannon, right?
0: Yeah, but that, that's that wasn't uncommon for the aircraft at the time. It no. was the f- rate of fire that was so slow that was the problem. No. You had to be pretty accurate when you were pulling the trigger because there weren't it wasn't spitting out many rounds. But it only took one to hit him. <laughs> yeah, I one, think. one will do it. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, wow. but it, I think it was just the um, the design of the engine uh, and the lack of the uh, second stage uh, supercharger because mm-hmm. an aircraft that. Uh, his performance faded above 12,000 feet was going to be pretty useless in a lot of theaters because we're talking now about bombers and uh, fighters up at 25,000 feet, 30,000 feet easy mm-hmm. in at uh, that period. So an aircraft that really had a ceiling of around 12,000 feet. But it sounds was... like it didn't
2: have that bad of a record. I mean, there were a lot of aces. And uh, how many of those yeah, things well, got, did th- Russians get? For, like close to 5,000?
0: Uh, they did. They got a That's lot of That's amazing. Them, they, a lot they, of airplanes. They, yeah, uh, they they and their guys shot down a few, quite a few aircraft. But you know, the Stuka was not a a, a big competition for a fighter, uh, and a lot of the later Japanese pilots were were you know not considered their best. So uh, the Japanese theater, they it was you know you guys outnumbered them, and, and so what you're
2: saying they, is that was one of the best fighters that they had in world war ii is that what you're trying to say
0: i'm trying to say that uh if it had been put into europe it would have <laughs> been uh-huh. absolutely slaughtered <laughs> oh. okay there they wasn't it wasn't <laughs> really it neither of them were really great airplanes uh okay but there you go. I mean, that's that's not my opinion, and that's the opinion of the of the experts that knew about the airplane and what I've read and researched. Yeah. But uh, I've never even I'm, heard that. I'm name. quite <laughs> willing to accept that uh, you know um, some people might have loved it. I don't think there were many around. A lot of air forces had a look at it and decided it was. <laughs> A piece of junk <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, we're gonna take a pass on that yeah mm-hmm.
0: yeah, yeah right. but anyway i'm gonna take on the british pieces of junk next time and oh, they there were quite a few <laughs> so i'm not just gonna have two there's gonna be a good handful yeah i hope uh,
2: we have the same music for uh, your uh, yeah, british
3: i think that's what i think like when I'm I, hear gonna music, t- I think of. Oh. Great Britain. Really?
0: I was going to have something <laughs> like uh, some Morris English dancing music. But, uh, <laughs> I, I tell you the the amusing thing about of the airplanes I'm going to uh, cover next week uh, was that I went to an old uh, Air Force friend of mine uh, who lives not far away. And um, he, in his garden, he's got a beautiful wrought iron. A uh, sunhouse which rotates, so uh, it's it's glazed wrought iron frame, and you can turn the whole thing so it faces the sun. It's absolutely gorgeous, and it was built by a company called uh, Bolton Paul. Um, and B- Bolton Paul also built a fighter for the British Air Force. <laughs> <laughs> Is yeah. It's yeah. So oh. that that it was not an ideal airplane. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. not ideal. Yeah. No ideal. Yeah. No. Well, I can't wait. It to wasn't hear about made that of one. cast iron, but clay. <laughs> okay.
2: It was ceramic covered cast iron. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, it sounds fancy.
2: Mm-hmm. Just like mm-hmm. the lacquer. Just smell. real
3: quick. Speak. Going. Looping back to Mike Carroll. He is alive and well, and is apparently recording the next episode of his oh, podcast goodness. this evening. Yeah, Chris, did I hear that earlier? So, yes, different, the, different Mike
0: Carrolls. The Mike Carrolls I always took out was Carols with the C, not Hi. with a K. Hi. Okay.
2: Hi. So it'd be Mike Carrolls. <laughs> yes. <laughs> As opposed to Mike Carrolls. As to. But there's a subtle difference Carols. <laughs> All right. You didn't realize was, <laughs> that. his Go. name was going to be mentioned Go. so many times in today's You're show. welcome. Mate. Yeah, please stay tuned if you're Bye. watching this live.
0: <laughs> and yes, Colin, I am mm. going to talk about the, the defiant, <laughs> <laughs> defied nobody.
2: Uh, mm. Okay. Well, let's continue on. What do you say? Thanks again, Nick. Great. Another great one.
0: Okay. Oh, you're welcome. I love it.
2: Uh, thanks
0: to my Micah, of course. Yes, thank you, man, Micah,
2: for the... Inspiration. You know, we hope you're all you're you're doing better. Okay, Absolutely. Texas Charlie says evidence that this has all happened before. Tragic that such a magnificent species was taken down by a microscopic foe. But if not for the mighty Avianosaurus being brought down in the early Cretaceous period. <laughs> the elusive Zoomopterus might never have come to dominate the business meeting areas of the planet. Such is the will of Mother Nature. And you'll have to look at this uh, photo in the show notes. If you're watching the video, you're seeing it on screen now.
0: That's very good, isn't it?
2: It is. Sad, though. Really? So sad.
3: It is. I, I uh, imagine that's what like the boneyards of Arizona and Southern California will look like in another 200 years. Another yep. twenty years. Just twenty years. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. Probably. Now nah, the question mm. is that a Boeing or an airbus
2: It looks more like a jungle jet to me. Oh. Uh, mm. yeah. The fin at the back is uh interesting. Yeah. All right. Well thank you, uh, Texas Charlie for that. Um, continuing on with uh Hamish makes another um appearance on today's show. Uh, Robert Fairbairn in the um,
4: no, video. no, no. This is another Hamish. This is
2: not the same one. This is a different Hamish. <laughs> different Hamish. <laughs> yeah. Control room it, is... Oh, good thing you eh. can't hear her. We couldn't use that kind of language on our show. <laughs> yeah, um, it says,
0: best regards, Hotel Kilo.
2: Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, oh, yeah. Wait, that's right. This is not opposing bases, by the way. We actually yeah. use real names You're allowed to use here. your name
0: on this
3: show. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're not anonymous. <laughs> yeah. Here.
2: Anyway, Hi, guys. Feedback on APG442. Narita Airport is a plane spotter's heaven. Right at the threshold of 34 left is an excellent airport museum. It appears to be a control tower, but that is actually the aircraft, aircraft spotting tower, complete with, an announce, complete with an announcer and restaurant. I wonder if the announcer is announcing in Japanese
0: or English. Probably. <laughs> yeah.
2: <Yes. laughs> you can watch the activity on 34 left and the cargo area. Nick may like the sliced up 747 fuselage and wing. Yeah, he always, he always revels yeah, in. I do,
0: I do. You're quite right. 747 destruction. <laughs> yes. Yep. Love it. Love there, it. Love it.
2: There's, that's enough. There is also an earlier, uh, early B triple seven simulator with single motion display. Uh, costs around. I wonder which motion it is. <laughs> um, just up. Just up and down. <laughs> Uh, cost around twenty five dollars for fifteen minutes with the instructor.
0: That's another pretty... seventy five dollars to come down again. <laughs> yes. mm-hmm.
2: uh, getting there is the usual Japanese efficiency of a regular bus from the terminal, and also a direct bus from Tokyo. Best regards, cool. Hotel Kilo, but we like to call him Hamish. And that's not Robert Farben. That's a different one. Different Hamish. Yeah. Post COVID meetup. Liz is saying, yeah. For sure.
0: And uh, if you're going to go there, then uh, take time out to go to Narita Town and visit uh, Raman Noodles for some uh, hot chili uh, soup, hot chili noodle soup with uh, a little bit of sliced um, smoked chicken on top and a good uh, chili cold beer. You're
2: making me hungry. My yeah, stomach's going to start growling.
3: It's definitely dinner time here.
2: Oh, by the way, this show is brought to you by Sling. Slingsby. Slingsby.
0: Gin. They're an aircraft manufacturer. They are. are.
2: Yeah, I received this from our good friend, Captain Al. Your pal, our pal, Captain Al. Oh,
3: wow. Last, um,
2: what, July? When
3: he was here. uh,
2: Yeah, what was it called? Oshkosh. Oshkosh, that's it air
3: cool. Oh. You know that large gathering. <laughs>
2: I know. I should probably know it.
3: People in airplanes.
2: Yeah.
0: Thank you. In
3: Wisconsin.
2: <laughs> okay. Um, oh, that's
3: right. We're
0: in Wisconsin. Oh, I never knew that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Okay. Well, I knew we were in Oshkosh. I had no oh, idea you didn't where know that Oshkosh. was Wisconsin. You didn't know what state. Oh, that's right. Nick no was in the back of the you? RV
2: when we crossed the border. Was it important? He was in the bathroom. Not really.
0: Okay. <laughs>
2: And I yelled. I don't know, you didn't hear me because all the noise you were making.
0: <laughs> I was I screaming because uh, we were being hit by by trash, by trash bins and swerve <laughs> swerving around. Charles that was before we got to Wisconsin.
2: <laughs> you were traumatized. He was, was traumatized. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Illinois is traumatizing to a lot of people just on its own. But with the trash cans okay. thrown in.
0: Wow. Yeah. Oh, Flying yeah. trash cans. No, I mean yeah. I'm
2: sorry. What I mean is people from
0: uh, Illinois are so, oh, yeah. well, that's what, that's what <laughs> we call about. the uh, sky van, the flying trash can.
3: <laughs> that is what it
0: is. By the yeah, way, flying dumpster.
3: Um, and before anyone gets too offended, I'm from Illinois originally. So. Right.
2: Yes. That's why we're making fun of them. Yes. You know what? Honestly, I don't remember. Do I have uh, Liz? Do I have some videos for this one?
4: Looks like there's two. Because I see two movies here.
2: <laughs> I don't know what they are. Okay. Um, well, maybe I should look myself.
0: That, well, ones to show oh, yeah. with this okay. engines. Yes, running. I do have those. I see. I did
2: some. I did a lot of prep work uh, several days ago, and I've already. And then you forgot. I've forgotten completely about what they are. I should.
3: We well, had to make room in the brain for all the new information. Yeah, no, I did.
2: The just... it's all the all this stuff just got pushed out. Mm-hmm. Um. So next time, okay. Next time, I'll just put some kind of a note there, what it is that I'm, I have in the, uh,
4: in the video clip thing.
2: Okay. Um, now we uh, recover. Recover. This is from Joel. Just catching up. Hi to all the crew. I've been catching up on all the podcasts I missed while I was off the road, and I just wanted to say a few things. First of all, I'm very sorry to hear about Captain Nick's dad passing away. The plain tales you made together about his career are definitely some of my favorites, and your tribute to him was excellent and touching.
0: That nice, is very kind. Thank you.
2: Sorry that Jeff and Dana have been out of work for so long. Don't be sorry. Uh, I hope you return to the skies very soon. Eh, you may not have <laughs> to be. That's kind of going to be dangerous up there. Uh, great to have Miami Rick back on the show. I always enjoy listening to his explanations and opinions. They also double up as a great sleeping aid. <laughs> wow <laughs>
4: <laughs> sorry
3: Rick's not here to hear yeah, it you Good won't.
2: thing Rick's not here to hear that. Yeah, uh, yes, he's asleep somewhere. Question for Steph. Mm. Will the turboprop flying lead to something more permanent, or is it just a weekend thing? I would love to ride right seat passenger in the caravan. I'm jealous.
3: uh, it's a good question. I don't know that I have an answer to you for now. It's just a weekend thing, but you know. You never know what the future holds.
2: I can't wait to fly co-pilot or just sit in the right seat. Yeah,
3: we should sometimes
2: Make sure is. you
0: strap in because she's going to throw you out if you're not. That's true. Yeah.
3: yeah. Did you specify which you wanted to sit in the right seat? You <laughs> said
0: That's yeah, right seat.
3: We don't throw anyone out of that seat usually.
2: <laughs> good. <laughs> and uh, let's see. Okay, I've included a couple of videos of today's outing to Gatwick Aviation Museum. They have an ex-Saudi English Electric Lightning and an ex-RAF Shackleton, which they did engine runs with. Both aircraft were serviceable, and it was a brilliant day out. Keep up the good work, guys. You keep me company on my long journeys around the UK. Blue skies and tailwinds. All the best from Joel Billywiz. And here we go. Shall we do the...
0: That one. The Saudi. I believe that's the Saudi
2: jet. Yeah. Kind of loud in here. Shut, shut, shut it down. Shut it down. It's too noisy.
4: Okay. Great. No, not day. you.
2: I was talking to the see. pilot. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, no. Now, shut it down. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Now, <for> to
3: Shackleton.
4: <laughs>
2: yeah, Shackleton, please. Yeah, I love that.
3: I love those props. Yeah, Yeah, crazy. Very cool.
2: All right, that's good. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't hear anything. What?
0: Huh? <laughs> huh? That yeah. aircraft was uh, nicknamed uh, 20,000 rivets flying in loose formation.
2: <laughs> you know what I have to say? This was a, this was a uh, British airplane?
0: Uh, yeah, the Shackleton. Yeah, yeah, it was a development of the so, Lancaster. You
2: know, I hate to point this out, but it looks like they got the props on backwards, backwards? or something on <laughs> all the engines. <laughs> um. So this, so you have counter um, counter rotating propellers on each engine. Does that mean that there's no p factor and no critical engine? Is that one of the benefits of doing it? How about you
3: explain that to us, Jeff?
2: (laughs) I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Let me tell you all about p factor. No. (laughs) I'm not going to touch that with a ten foot pole. Thank you very much. Anyway, very cool. I love that sound of those engines. Those are great. Mm
4: -hmm.
2: All right. Well, thank you. Joel, for sharing that with us. And moving on. Stefan. Stefan. He says, oh, he sent in some audio feedback. Uh, Let's see.
6: Hello, APG team. Hello, Captain Jeff. Especially hi to Liz. I have heard you the first time when we were asking for feedback. This is Stefan from Germany calling. And Liz was asking for feedback episode Triple four. the question of Thomas, chapter 16, he were asking the following, why, as the only airline in, he was giving the example New York, but he was mentioning worldwide, is doing a non-standard readback of clearance. Every airline apparently in New York uh, reads back um, first the clearance and then they give their own call sign. Lufthansa does it the other way around. When the tower clears, uh, Lufthansa aircraft for takeoff, the crew crew um, replies, uh, Lufthansa 401, clear for takeoff. He's saying that it's non-standard. Well, is it really non-standard? So I was digging deeply into our documentation. And, well, you find both. The documentation by, which I have are so old, but still valid by the way, but they are so old that they use examples with um, call signs like Clipper 123 or TWA Flight 405 I mean, Airlines, which doesn't exist anymore for 30 something years. <laughs> uh, even newer documentation, like we uh, like have the the uh, radio telephony manual of CUP of the UK, is called CAP 413. Uh, They're giving examples when read back first clearance and then the call sign. So the other way around, Lufthansa does it. Then they have the uh, document uh, 9432 of the ICAO manual from apparently 2007. New editions are mostly behind a paywall, which I cannot reach. Um, They are also giving examples where the crew giving first clearance and then the call sign at the end. So the opposite, Lufthansa does it but at the same page on the same example they're giving there's also the chapter it's called i say it here two eight three seven so two eight two point eight point three point seven an aircraft should terminate the readback by its call sign it's confusing i ask colleague and they say well you can do both you can do first call sign then clearance or first clearance and then call sign it's it, the only reason. Is the the only the only thing is you have to have your call sign in the clearance. And why Lufthansa does it so stringent with always first um, the call sign in the readback is because we are teaching it that way. And this is because of an agreement of some ten plus years ago. That uh, LH apparently got an agreement with the German ATC units to do it that way. It's they. You, you had a discussion about it, which is better first the clearance or first the call sign. So, But the, they did an agreement that um, in Germany, they like to have it this way. And uh, apparently Lufthansa says, okay, we do it that way. We think it's also nice. And, you know, it's a 50-50 chance, whatever is better. So, but their they standard in Germany is because it's allowed, it's not against any rules to do when we back first, the uh, call sign and then the clearance. Um, then there was an amendment. Jeff mentioned it five years ago about the clearances, but it had nothing to do. What f- shall we do first when we back? It was only new regulations and, and specifications when you do when you're getting a conditional clearance, like land behind uh, next aircraft or take off behind departing aircraft or whatever. But so to to make it long story short, you can do it either way, and apparently the um, the uh, uh, Germans do it well they do it this way and it's not wrong I hope it's a good feedback a little bit complicated to explain it took me four hours to find that out and um, I enjoyed your show have a great time and talk to you next lots of tailwind bye bye
2: thank you Stefan for that uh, so I guess to bring it back around full circle, uh, Thomas, uh, you can't really say that they're doing it wrong. It's just, they're doing it differently, I guess. And I, I've tried, uh, the last couple of, uh, days, you know, doing my pretend radio calls in the flight procedures trainer. I've tried to change the way that I do it. And it's so now ingrained in me to say my call sign first, because I was thinking I was doing it the right way that, and I'm trying to, save everything my call sign for the end of everything and i'm i'm finding it very difficult to do but i guess over time i'll get used to it well yes. i
0: always used to forget my call sign the time i got to the end <laughs> yeah. uh, i'd be going i have not a clue i've said so much stuff now I haven't <laughs> yeah. a clue I'm <laughs> clue. and
3: then That's, you gotta remember all the stuff you already said
0: yeah yeah, exactly. oh, yeah you go <sighs> what did i just say yeah what so did say? uh but having said that uh for me it it's a much better idea because it separates you from the transmission. The that oh, that yeah. traffic have made. Yeah, we so made that I point on the, logic on, of on the
2: la- last episode, and I agree with it. Yeah. I, I agree with you. Um, it's just now hard for me to change the way I've been doing it, but I'll, I'll figure it out.
0: Maybe one of these days.
4: I mean, I, I, I know Jeff, what
3: the
0: you know, you've really got a couple years. I shouldn't
3: bother. <laughs> yeah, just you've been doing it this that yeah, way for so, so long. It, and just do it and the don't. Um because at, at the end of the day, to be perfectly honest, the point is communication, right? So as long as communication has taken place and everyone's clear on what's going on.
2: I'm well, not sure about that last part you just mentioned, but yeah.
3: Yeah. Well, I as long mean, it then change what you're doing.
2: <laughs> you know what I learned in the Air Force, it doesn't really matter what you say, just sound like you know what you're talking about.
3: Be confident.
2: Yep. Yep. And if you're like terrorized, you know, just, you know, you want to scream and cry, you just wait until you've stopped the transmission. And that's when you start <laughs> whimpering.
0: But well, I, I do acknowledge that the Germans have a wonderful way of doing everything backwards. <laughs>
2: <Okay>. <laughs> Captain Nick, that's the online guide.
3: How many countries have we offended on the show? <laughs> a few. Nearly uh, 50%. At uh, least 50%. Uh,
2: okay. Uh, Kyle um good afternoon co-worker of my, co-worker of mine just sent me this heading north out of atlanta on i-75 a few minutes ago thought you guys might like it it looks like a mig-27 to me i don't know <laughs> what,
0: in pieces
2: it, yeah i don't know does that look like a mig-27 no i
0: don't, I don't
2: know, know. yeah it's, in, it's heading to my house it's actually in the backyard yeah, a little <laughs> New, uh, Shorty,
0: your, he's, he's, he's just it's a mig-21
2: Oh, MIG-21. Oh.
0: Yeah, fish bed.
3: Okay. I, okay, sure.
0: We maybe it was just
3: you. a typo. Okay.
0: Yeah. Could it be?
2: Could it or be? could it be? Maybe I'm just misreading it. Maybe it actually says MIG-21. I don't know.
0: Say,
2: but, okay. <laughs> I'm just reading what he, what he sent us. Thank you, Kyle. Um, now, this one is interesting. This is from Henry, or Henri, if he's from France. Um, He says, "I'm love the what's that?
0: Love the shorts.
2: Thank you. I got them just for you. Um, (laughs) I'm
0: saving this one for a minute.
2: I'm a new. I'm a new listener. You're
3: gonna have to insert whatever that was into the actual podcast, so we will know. Uh, Okay, here you go. Okay. Oh,
2: there you go. (laughs) Here we go. I'm a new listener and nav geek. He dresses
0: Uh, to the left." (laughs)
2: yeah i'm so glad i found this podcast i listen to it often as i walk my daily five mile trek before work as a corporate training manager for a leading u.s service company based in mason ohio i appreciate the pictures and the getting to know you segments because it helps to have a face to imagine with the voice but captain jeff you sound exactly like thomas lennon who played lieutenant dangle
0: Dresses to the left.
2: Yeah, you've already mentioned that. Uh, (laughs) Reno 911, a U.S. TV uh, series about the Reno Sheriff's Department, Reno, Nevada. It's a very funny show, and Lieutenant Dangle is a big part of it. (laughs) Uh, Not only, you know, I watched. (laughs) A yep. decent
3: amount of that so that show. Yeah. I can't remember for the life of me that his voice sounded like yours. I'll no, to I don't. I, to I don't get the resemblance. At
2: yeah, all. Liz is saying the same thing. Says, I'm not hearing it either. Uh, he says not only is your voice like his, Jeff, but even your phrasing and humor so much that I picture him leading the podcast. Okay. <laughs> gotta get
4: those shorts. Oh, I like this very much. It's very
2: if you're unfamiliar, I've, I've I've attached his photo. Liz already put that up. There you go. And uh link to a clip featuring him. Uh love you guys. Favorable tailwinds and only light chop to all of you. And then he sent us a link, uh, YouTube link where you can watch one of the episodes and uh yeah, it got me going. I started I watched that one and then there were some other episodes. down the rabbit hole of yeah, the ring ones. Yeah, definitely. But uh yes, uh the uh this character, Lieutenant Dangle <laughs> is in very, very short shorts. <laughs> and, uh, you know, honestly, that's the kind of, st- the, the kind of shorts uh, that I was wearing when I was a um, line boy um, at uh, some of these FBOs I worked at.
3: Ooh, look at so Scott, you're not so far yeah. off, Henry? No.
2: No, he's not. Of course, I didn't have... Do you have I the aviators
3: have a- and the mustache at the time, too? Uh,
2: yes. But I didn't have his big gun.
4: But <laughs> <laughs> the gun... Okay. <laughs> Bam. Oh, <laughs> <The>
2: God. <guns. laughs> Come on, Liz, recover. This
4: is a All funny right. show. Uh,
2: Brian, this is a good one. In fact, I even showed this to uh, uh, my instructor and on day one. Uh, he had not seen this. Um, Brian H. Um, uh, says, hey, Jeff, uh, as you begin your training on the 717, my guess is you will be seeing this video as part of that training. No, they, I don't Not a lot of them have seen this, but feel free to share with the APG community as it looks like a pretty wild ride. Uh, And on the topic of test pilots, has there been an APG episode where being a test pilot has been discussed? I can certainly see Rick taking on that challenge at some point in his career. Hey, every flight that Rick goes on is a test flight. (laughs) Um, just saying, uh, love the show, Brian H. <laughs> and then he sent this link to, uh, from avgeekery.com. The time a Boeing 717 went inverted during
0: testing. And uh, it says here, yes, this ah, is a real he video. he went to 160 degrees of bank. That's all. That's done. Yeah.
2: It. And, and Nick and I were discussing this because I, I said to him, you know, I, that unusual attitude recovery, I think I would have done a little bit different. Of course, you know, I wasn't there. So who knows really what I would do. Anyway, during the stall testing of the 717 program, formerly the MD-95, the aircraft departed controlled flight. That's a nice way to say that the jet stalled, rolled and went inverted. <laughs> the test pilots on board masterfully recovered the jet and survived to live another day. And uh so uh the video is I don't think did I I don't think I included that as a video clip did I? No. Okay. So we'll put this uh link in the show notes and you can take a look at it and it is uh, and it, his comment by the way in the subject line is looks like a younger Jeff. I guess he's talking about the the uh, cap- the guy sitting in the captain's seat.
0: Um, no, and- these the other guy, the one that's screaming.
2: Oh, the one that's screaming and crying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably mm-hmm. more accurate. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing. They they do go into a stall and they get into a, a, a an attitude that uh, they oh, probably were yeah. not expecting. Yeah, and they pretty impressive. Yeah, very.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And they, I think I read somewhere that said that. Um, well, maybe it's here in the uh, in the text in the. Uh, and what I have here in the show notes, but that, uh, it probably didn't fly too many times after, after this flight, because there's a two and a half G <laughs>
3: Did they, um, limit. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think they probably over G the aircraft, um, mm-hmm. to pull out of that. Uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure they would have had to, um, anyway. So very, very interesting. And, uh, you should check it out because it's pretty amazing and it's real. It's a real video. Okay. And this was the uh, number one, seven, one, seven off the line. And then they.
3: Interesting. Of 156 built, 155 remain flying. Yeah. So, with the exception of that one, that was retired and broken up.
2: Yeah. That is very impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, Acme has
3: 91.
2: 91, I think.
3: Yeah. How'd you know that? Because it, it was in a oh. feedback earlier, <laughs> or in okay. the news or something.
2: Yeah. That's right. Okay. Um, continuing on. Not a lot of time left. Anything that I should do for sure? Do you like
3: to skip 13 for now? Because I feel like there might be technical stuff. To oh, tech- yeah. Yeah, could, you're right. could take some time. Yeah.
2: 14. Uh, Stephen, uh, Jeff and crew. I've recently started a side project of designing original artwork, uh, aviation artwork, geared towards airline pilots and other enthusiasts. As I grow, I'm exploring ideas on how to get my name out there. As a fan of your podcast, I'm, I'd be interested in discussing any advertising opportunities you might have. Well, as everybody knows who listens to the show, we do not have advertising on the show. But we do mention projects such as uh, this one from Stephen um, from our listeners. And uh, Liz put up a screenshot of his website. It's called Flight Crew Style. And it says, flying isn't a hobby. It's a lifestyle. And a lot of good stuff there on the website for sale. And uh, let's see. Um, I told him I'd be happy to mention it to our community if they're interested in checking it out. It's flightcrewstyle.com. I'll have that link in the show notes. And I said, you know what? If you gave us a discount code, that might um, generate more interest in checking out your site and seeing what you might have there. He's uh, given us a 15% off code that you all can use. It's uh, APG, all capitals, or uh, uppercase, APG15, all together. Okay, all together. apg Come on. I'll G. Be a, APG. One. I had to get back to the screen to
3: unmute. APG. What I knew where you were going. I was just sorry. I was actually looking when at the But I saw all website, together.
2: I just thought of airplane.
3: Airplane. I know. I, I was there with you. I just from <laughs> where, through that screen and then we
2: have latency. Oh well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, let's see what else. He says, "Oh, a quick background on me if you're curious." Um, I majored in aviation in college and worked as a flight instructor for around three years before going to the regionals. After about three years in the regionals, I joined the Air National Guard on a full-time status. I got together with my brother and a few former colleagues to create flight crew style after noticing a lack of personalized artwork for pilots and aviation enthusiasts. I'm just as passionate about flying as when I started, and I hope to give back to the community as much as I can. Please let me know if there's anything I can do to return the favor so that again that's uh steven fabrizio check out his site uh lots of really really good stuff aviation art um airport maps uh pretty cool uh looking things that you can display on your walls and stuff so again apg 15 all together and yeah apg 15 all together <laughs> that
3: was pathetic
2: it was very pathetic Maybe know. you know what I, I don't I'm even sorry. think I can I don't even think I can fix that And and you know, Nick let's didn't even try. Go. No, Nick he made no try.
0: effort. What, what was that? Yeah. Oh, were you? I didn't hear anything. Oh well that's because you're deaf. Oh. Hi. Oh, I didn't hear anything. What'd you say? <laughs>
4: huh? <laughs> it's all those noisy <laughs> I engines. Giving, I was given an APG fifteen.
2: Ago. Uh-huh. Sure you were. Yeah. Okay.
0: Oh, you fix it. Now, Nick, part. that's
2: only one finger you're showing me right now. Okay. Um let's see. Which one, Liz? Uh,
4: Captain Dave.
2: Okay. Captain Dave it is. Uh, what was the first U.S. airliner certified for only two pilots? I, mean, I haven't even read this one yet. Back in the day of the 727, a flight engineer was required. Some were professional flight engineers, while the newer ones were pilots. Naturally, the airlines wanted to get rid of the flight engineer because they're kind of messy and they smell. A battle ins- i I added that... A battle ensued between the pilot unions and the airlines. The end result was that when the, new, when the next new airplane was certified, it would be allowed to be certified as a two-pilot airplane. Then the MD-80 was born. Funny how there were so many versions of the DC-9 that were produced, and finally the next version of the DC-9 was christened as the MD-80, and it was touted as a, quote, new airplane, thus allowing it to be crewed with only two pilots. People that uh, still today have made references to even the B seven seventeen as a new DC nine version. It's true. It's what it is. And the pilots lost that battle also. Now wait a minute. Weren't the original DC nines two pilot airplanes? I don't think they ever had flight engineers, did they? I don't know. Hmm, I don't think so. Hmm.
3: Let's uh. Let me find out here.
2: Okay. Um. Uh, so we're gonna do some research on that. Um. I mean he might be right. I just I just thought DC-9s always only had two pilots, but maybe not. Uh let's see. Funny thing, funny how things change like that. The original intent was for a pilot to experience 10 years as a flight engineer, 10 years as a first officer, then 10 years as a captain for a full career.
0: I think you're right, Jeff. Okay. Wikipedia says DC-9 copy crew two.
2: Yeah. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Yep. Pretty much. I'm pretty sure it was always like that. Um Anyway, uh, yeah, I did a year and a half as a flight engineer, and then 10 years as a first officer, and then the rest as a captain. Um, oh, let's see. Of course, we all know what will be next: one pilot and a dog, where the dog is trained to bite the hand of the pilot if he tries to touch anything.
4: Thanks. Captain Dave retired. Hmm Was it a cute dog? No puppy. <laughs>
3: Something very vicious. I thought they yeah. slept when the plane took off. That's right. Kind of <laughs> Liz is making
2: time. a very good point. This is not a good idea, not a good plan because the dog goes to sleep once the airplane.
3: Yes, we found that out. Therefore. They seem vicious, but the dog's just like,
2: <laughs> yeah, it doesn't
4: want to mess with anything. I'm just going to take a nap till it's time to land. Yeah. All right. Hmm. All right.
2: Thanks, Captain Dave. Appreciate that. And I think that's going to do it for the show this week. And uh, if you're a a new listener, welcome to the community. That's really the best part about all this stuff. Uh, We just do the show every week as an excuse to communicate to our community. And if you want to find out more information about it, you can head over to our amazing website, airlinepilotguide.com. It's amazing because it's still up and running. And <laughs> uh, learn about the APG crew, the community, the uh, coffee fund. We have a library with uh, uh, Miss Tiffany, our lib- APG librarian, managing that. We have the calendar, the APG community calendar, where you can find out information about what's going on in the in the community. And uh, P- Plain Tales. Uh, if you want to learn more about uh, each episode of the Plain Tales, Nick spends even more time putting in photos and other information to support the uh, plain tail and merchandise if you're interested in getting a acme air t-shirt or coffee mug or iphone case or something like that all that stuff's there hat i don't do we have hats i don't know i, I still have some in my trunk <laughs> i'm not sure about the website though
3: <laughs> your, your selection may vary <laughs> yeah, i don't merch. know
2: yeah check it out i don't know what's there and uh, so much more so please check out the uh, airlinepilotguy.com. Now, being in this modern world we live in, we're living in, uh, we are on social media. We like to call it the social meds.
3: Check us out on the social meds. Head over to twitter.com. We are at APG Crew. That's your short format uh, social media experience. For those of you who are a bit more long-winded, you can head over to facebook.com slash airlinepilotguy. Or uh, if pictures are your thing, Instagram, uh, we are at APG Crew. See you on the social meds.
2: See you on the social means. We're also on Slack. We have a Slack team. So if you're a Slacker, this is the perfect place for you. Hang on. Let's see if uh Jeff,
7: this is my private time. Oh, would you let me finish up poo for (laughs) once?
2: Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know if Hillel then is ready. Okay. He says he's ready now.
7: That was quick. APG (laughs) listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform (laughs) that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack.
2: Thank you very much, Hillel.
7: I wouldn't go in there for a while, Captain.
2: Thanks for the advice.
0: Yeah. Sensible, really. Did he wipe his bottom before he came out?
2: I'm not. That's like, uh, <laughs> I don't want to even go there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and a major, big, giant thanks to our producer director, Liz, up Hooray! in
0: Woo-hoo! Toronto. Good job this uh, Liz. Nice to be done.
2: Yeah, I mean, really, honestly, Thank I uh, couldn't do the show without her. So we do appreciate you. And until next time, keep listening to the show. Keep downloading it, reviewing it, and all that good jazz. And we'll see you next week on APG. Wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care, and God bless.
0: Cheers, y'all. Cha-cha for now.
4: Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot guy.
7: Good day.
6: A good, good pilot. Till I started APG, I opened doors for little old ladies. I helped them to their seats.
1: Airline not a guy, I fly.
6: Cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can't land it just fine
1: Airline, my guy I fly a metal oh, airline